Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Josh. And this is a Bad at Magic podcast, a podcast about games, life, and other things, and welcome to episode 91. Ben. Ben. When's the last time you handled, like, coinage? Like, actual U.S., like, coins? Cents? Okay. Fractions I, of a dollar? I could go down a whole... Okay. Josh, I'm a little bit older than you, and I came from where, like, money, handling cash money was, like, the lifeblood of the economy. And now I, I try to avoid it, but I also have some context in which I prefer handling cash money. So I've, I've, I've handled coinage this week. Why? In what context did you handle U.S. coinage? Okay, um, it's sometimes it's the most convenient way to interact with a, um, a snack fund in a military you know, facility that you live in and when it's difficult otherwise to get access to just snacks or drinks or things like that. Uh, other instances is sometimes when I'm interacting in a situation like at a restaurant or a gas station where I could tell there's going to be problems with the electronic infrastructure and I just want the transaction to go smoothly. Or if I want to be able to give a tip to a service worker and I prefer to meet it out in cash so that they can be have more discretion rather than putting it in electronically. Those are the situations in which I prefer cash. Oh, so what you mean is you prefer to be able to have your servers like pocket their tips as opposed to splitting them with the rest of their shift like they're supposed to. If Okay, you demonstrated this really astutely in a conversation you and I had had before. Uh, that's up to them. I am giving them a gift, <laughs> and whether or not they report it on their taxes is up to them. All right, well, spoken like a true Gen X, because I can't remember the last time I had coins it was probably within the last six months, and I remember having the coins in my hand and thinking to myself, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I am adverse to it. Someone handed me coin change this week, and I looked at it, and I dumped it in the tip jar and kind of like rubbed my hands together like gross. Oh, man. Before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the, the touchless, the contactless payment was like big in my life, whenever I did handle cash, I would put my hand deliberately over the tip jar for them to drop the coins in. Uh-huh. And then I would just, as they were dropping it, I would just rotate my hand 90 degrees so they put it directly into the tip jar because I don't want that. <laughs> I'm not carrying around this metal all day. That's That seems so barbaric. It kind of is. I hope we see it go extinct soon. But what has that got to do with the number 91? So the U.S. Mint in 2020, this is the most recent data that I could find. In 2020, how many coins do you think the U.S. Mint created? Brand new coins to put into circulation. Okay, I'm always I'm always astonished at the amount of effort and raw metals we put into coinage. So it's really high, I'm guessing. It's absurdly high. Like I had to read the article multiple times to make sure, no, this can't possibly be right. Ben, in 2020, the U.S. Mint in two facilities introduced 14.7 billion with a b new coins into circulation the the denver mint and the philadelphia mint i'm guessing how did you know that off the top of your head because they have d's and p's on them how on the how? on the coin if you look at it really close there'll be a little d or a little p and that's what it means this episode 91, I don't know why I'm still surprised that you know more about the things that I bring up than, than I do. <laughs> That's a lot of money. 11 billion? 14.7 billion new coins. Holy crap. So, But this isn't the kind of thing that just disappears. So like, uh, I, okay, I don't even want to try to think of the economics of that because my head almost exploded just now. Well, and here's what blows my mind is first, like the, the, that. there's a distribution across all the different coins that we use in the U.S., including, this is crazy, one dollar coins and half dollar coins that that not only are they still a thing they still produce no, they produce new ones okay 
So uh, they produced like 2.6 million Native American $1 coins. They produced 5.7 million half dollars, 2.7 billion quarters, 2.7 billion dimes, 1.6 billion nickels. And Ben, this is what just blew my mind. 7.5 billion new pennies. What are we Why? doing with the pennies? Yeah, we isn't a penny worth less than the metals it's made out of? It, it um, At one point it was, and that's why they had to make it illegal to deface U.S. currency because people were taking literal dump trucks of pennies into Canada to melt them down for the copper. Wow. Yeah, yeah we need to do that. What a waste. Okay, but what, what does that got to do with 91? Is there a 91-cent coin I don't know about? There's not a 91-cent coin. But if you have one of the most common coins, I say the most common. If you have a half dollar, uh-huh. if you have a quarter, a dime, a nickel, and a penny, one of each, uh, it adds okay. up to 91 cents. Got it. It's 41 plus 50. What? what? Because I, if I always see you had the most common um, coins, it would be a quarter, a dime, a nickel, and a penny, which is 41 cents. Oh, okay. I guess if and then you, you throw add the 50 fi- cents. If you throw in a 50 cent piece, which is less common, but okay, 91 cents. <laughs> Episode 91. We did it. Man, I, I, listen, I reached far for it, but I, I stumbled across something that I thought was interesting, like the fact that for some reason we're still wasting money creating metal coins. I like it. Well, point, speaking of pointlessly counting money, Josh, I know you're trying to get recognized by the some board in the state of Arizona as an official counter of money. How's that coming along? Uh, excuse me. It's the Arizona State Board of Accountancy, sir. <laughs> <laughs> this is a professional like, Well, last time you talked about it on the podcast, you had turned in your application to get your final CPA and were unfortunately notified and fortunately helped by a very helpful state employee uh, to, that you needed to take at one or two more classes in order to have your degree certified. Uh, yes, uh, she was super helpful and continues to be extremely helpful. But yes, she informed me that I needed to take one more class. And so that day I signed up for a... Uh, I don't know, an undergrad level accounting class uh, from University of Phoenix that I had to have like some waiver for because I didn't have the prequisites to take that class. Yes, we talked about that. Yeah, I'd already gotten a master's in accounting from that institution, but they still had to make sure it was okay. Anyway, that was long enough ago. You should be done with that class by now. That class was five weeks long. And this... I'm not kidding you, Ben, when I said like the first week that 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 the course was going... The coursework was on material that I was presenting to paying clients as an instructor. Like I was <laughs> being paid to teach people the stuff that I was being tested on. In this uh, class. Sometimes bureaucracy is so painful. Yes, <laughs> you, you could have taught the class. You were doing that stuff every day, but you had to take the class to check the box. I took the class. I checked the box. Um, I did pass the class with minimal effort and astounding grades, shockingly. Um, I reapplied to the state board and because it had been over a month, I had to pay the application fee again so they could look oh at the gosh. same pieces of paper. I had to pay to have a new transcript sent to them that has the one additional class that's on it that wasn't on there before. That is insane. And so now I'm at the point of the bureaucracy where um, it's in the application process where they have to review my application to make sure that I have actually checked all the boxes that they want. If, if I haven't or if I have, they will send me a letter in the mail, letting me know if I have or if I have not and what my deficiencies are. No emails. No no emails, no text messages, no phone phone calls. calls. Because for some reason... That's the thing that's official. We have documented on this podcast. For some reason, like old-fashioned industries or or government bureaucracies especially believe that if it's not a piece of paper that you got in the mail, is it really like an official notice? 
Okay, I, I had one of those happen this week. I'll tell you about it later. So you haven't gotten that piece of paper yet. I'm waiting on that piece of paper to show up to tell me, yay, Verily, you have done everything that you need to do. And I'm really hoping that I it's waiting for me in the mail like right now because the once the application process is done, the, my package has to go and be rubber stamped by a board, like the actual board of accountancy. There's a handful of people that sit on this board for the state and they only meet to rubber stamp applications once a month. So that is when coming you, when up. When you say rubber stamp, is it an actual rubber stamp? I don't know if I don't know. I have not d- dug that deep, but they have okay. to. The, the members of the board have to quote unquote review your package and then vote yay or nay whether or not you should be a certified public accountant. In Why? Why, Josh? Why Why are you doing this? Why are you going through all the pain? Why are you paying the application fee multiple times? Why do you want to be a professional bureaucracy expert? Ah, uh, well, Ben, you, in the. Uh, You'll find this out soon enough in the civilian world. They don't care what your background is. They don't care what your education is in. They don't care what experience you have. They care about how many letters you can stack up after your name on your email. Okay. Your signature block. So this is going to be CPA, EA, MSA. And what's funny is I've heard that it's gauche to put your master's degree. Or, like I have a master's of science and accountancy, which is the MSA that I put on there. Uh-huh. But, but I'm I'm told I find in other sources that like oh only people that got their degree from University of Phoenix put their master's degree in their signature block, and well I did get my master's degree from University of Phoenix and it's it's all I got right now. It, once I get the CPA, I can drop that because the CPA encompasses the other thing. Well, in the UK, it's the opposite. <laughs> they they really look forward to stacking those letters up after their name. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the more letters I get after my name, basically the more appealing I am to employers and therefore theoretically the more money that I will make. Because mm. it goes back to time. Remember, Ben, I only have one commodity in my life and that's time. And if I'm going to trade my time for money, I want to get as much money as possible for the same fixed amount of time. Yes. Okay. But why, Josh? Why do you what, Why do you have an affinity for this? Do, do, I don't know. And, and, does like, this go date back to your childhood or something? <laughs> what? All right, I'll tell you, affinity is the right word because for some reason, like, just – I'll complain about bureaucracies all day. But at the same time, part of my brain wants to learn all the rules and how to navigate them. Yeah, Yes, we've established on this podcast that you're like, well, the Empire kind of has a point. <laughs> I, I, I'm on record as saying, like, spoilers for Star Wars. Uh, Andor is the first series that, that legitimately has an argument to say that the Empire wasn't all that great. Every other movie, like, there's no evidence that the Empire was anything but a fully functional and, like, just robust bureaucracy to keep people in order. <laughs> if uh, you ever watch Futurama, if I was a Futurama character, I would 100% be a bureaucrat working in that central bureaucracy doing just the inanest things all day, every day. I don't know why. And then, like, it is so in me. I realize, like, I, 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 without realizing, I will introduce it into every aspect of my life for no reason. Like, I have a great example for this. And this is... Okay. Whew, I'm going to earn some serious nerd street cred with this one, Ben. Uh, the last Dungeons & Dragons campaign that I was DMing. Because, unfortunately, Ooh. for all of you that play Dungeons & Dragons, I am a forever DM. It's just... That's just the way it goes. So I was DMing a, a campaign and... We were in a pseudo-public place. Like, we had an apartment complex, and one of our players did. We rotated where we played. And so he had this, like, you know, rec room that they we went and set up at the table and just played D&D there for one of the sessions. And we were playing, and somebody was walking through, like, oh, you guys playing Dungeons & Dragons? It's so awesome. You mind if I just sit down and listen for a while? We're like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, pull up a chair, hang out. 
it was only then that I realized that that entire session up to that point had been uh, in the previous session, the players had won a large chunk of money at a gladiatorial arena. And yeah. this entire play session, multiple hours, Ben, was setting up bank accounts with the local trade guilds and shopping <laughs> for real estate. Like I was legitimately being like a real estate agent and describing like different properties in this city that they could purchase and the pros and cons and like the school districts and crap like that. Like it was and like the person, what the nerd that saw a Dungeons and Dragons game and said, oh, I want to watch this, sat down for like five minutes, realized what we were doing, got up and left like, God, these guys are nerds. <laughs> when when you were little and you guys were playing house, you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh I want to be the DMV agent. i want to be a doctor i want to be an astronaut i want to be a mid-level government bureaucrat (laughs) oh man so there's a mcdonald's in texas where it's almost entirely automated like you can go through the whole order and delivery process without seeing a human Oh, that's fantastic. Why is it all I know Texas? it's fantastic. How <laughs> how soon can we have this? Okay, this gets at something else I want to talk about. Do you have you ever listened to um Malcolm Gladwell's podcast called Revisionist History? No, I don't listen to that. Okay, so he did an episode this week where him and a friend of his went to Chandler, Arizona so that they could ride in a publicly self-driven car service just for the purpose of trying it out an autonomous car in arizona called waymo okay i have heard about that i have not tried it because i I have nowhere to go i think you should i'm interested in this so i you know i was talking about mcdonald's being automated and all the problems that we have with it kind of come with the human element like if you have a robot and it's not getting people through fast enough you don't tell it you don't say you need to get them through faster or tell them to pull ahead or else you're going to get in trouble. You just figure out how to make the robot work faster okay. because you know it's not delaying. It's not making mistakes. It's just doing what it's told. Well, and that's that's where the argument comes in for automation, right? It's the automation is very good about doing a, a strict set of repeated procedures over and over as efficiently as possible. Yes. Yes. But the human is good at catching those fringe cases, like the, the weird edges. And like if you happen to fall into one of those weird edges in a fully automated process, you're going to be in for a bad time. Right. If if something goes catastrophically wrong, a human can kind of figure out how to get around it where a machine is just done. I always see I love seeing those little videos where they have they're they're demonstrating like, oh, this robot creates a hamburger from start to finish. Yeah. But then like the bun gets like uh, two Turned inches too down. far to the left or something. Yep. Yeah. And then everything is just chaos and hectic after that. Yes. Yes. It's still going to take a lot of flexibility and artificial intelligence to really turn this into a fully automated process. But we want it to. And we think that we're getting rid of these kind of things that we create where we tell a fast food worker, you got to hurry up and get someone out in front of the window. And then they go, they send them off somewhere and forget about them. That's obviously not the intent. It's just a perverse outcome of these incentives that they're trying to put in place to get what they want. So You think that with a robot, you're doing away with that. But what you're actually doing is getting a different set. So Malcolm Gladwell started off by talking about automated cars and gave the usual the usual arguments in favor of them about doing away with traffic accidents, being more efficient, saving lives, all those kinds of things. But he explored this corner case of it. And that is in the in the contest between automobiles and pedestrians, there's this guessing game where there's an X factor. And the X factor is that there's a human behind the wheel. 
Like when you step out into a crosswalk, you don't just go out with abandon without looking both ways. You're still kind of checking to make sure that one, they saw you and two, that they don't want to kill you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> if you're cro- I did that earlier today, crossing the, the, the grocery store parking lot. I made eye contact with the guy that was going to run me down. I made sure that he saw me, that his vehicle came to a stop, and he gave me the little hand flickers before I actually walked out into traffic. Yes, yes. So, one, you've got to make sure they're paying attention. And two, you know, maybe they got a grudge and they're having a bad day and they would deliberately hit you or something like that. That could happen. You could be a crazy person, whatever. You don't know. And because you don't know, you're still a little bit careful. Now, in a world where all the cars are automated, they don't have any of that X factor. They're always paying attention perfectly and they don't ever want to hit you under any circumstances. That sounds outstanding. This is one of those cartoons where a person walks out into like just ridiculous traffic and comes out the other side unscathed. Yes, stay with me here, Josh. Okay. But it now turns pedestrians into gods. <laughs> so, all right, so extrapolating that to the absolute worst case scenario, you have one person that's just dissatisfied with the world that walks out in the middle of Times Square or some other like heavy traffic intersection that you see in some big city and just causes uh, uh, an automated self-driving car panic. Gridlock. <laughs> Anyone that wants to can walk out into any road anywhere and bring traffic to a halt and stay there as long as they want. The car's not going to get impatient. It's not going to try to hit them. It's just going to stop. No, it might nudge. Uh, if this happens enough times, we can have the nudging protocol where it's just slow enough. It's not going to hurt them, but it's definitely going to like it's a, a car versus a person is an is an unstoppable force. It will push you out of the way. Okay, Josh. As much cultural inertia as there is against cars inadvertently hitting people, before we allow the nudging protocol, a lot of bad stuff is going to have to happen. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, I, uh, that's a you weird French case. But I, what I happens can... if you're in the automated McDonald's drive-thru and it tells you to pull forward and you don't? Ooh. Well, then it just overrides the autopilot in your self-driving car. <laughs> it pulls forward for you. <laughs> or the whole restaurant rotates. Like, you're not – you're not – it's like a uh, – um, one of those automated car washes. You have to pull up to where you order your food and then put your car in a neutral because it's just going to hook the undercarriage and pull you along. Yes. The the point the point I was making behind all of that is we have a bit of a an uneasy truce, a stasis that exists in our society that keeps the pedestrians in check and the drivers in check because you never know if somebody's going to do something crazy. But if you make that completely one-sided and give all the power to one side, it's going to change the balance and therefore the the power will move. Well, let's take a step back because you realize city planning as it is right now is built around the automobile sure. as it's been That's since That's going to take a few years, but yes. Well, well in, if, if for example, if we look towards a utopian future where all cars are self-driving, we can eliminate stoplights entirely because now the automated cars can just interact directly with the other cars approaching the intersection. And you've seen those simulations on the internet where they can just like this one speeds up a little yeah. bit. This one slows down and a bit. They all weave between interlace. each other. Interlace. Yeah. yeah. No stopping anywhere ever. Uh, I can't wait. Once we get to that point, though, when does a pedestrian get to cross the street? The answer is never. So we're going to have to rebuild how pedestrians navigate a city that is interlaced with these streets that are designed specifically for cars that never stop. Kind of, Josh. Or pedestrians realize that they have utter sovereignty when it comes to the roads and we no longer need crosswalks or stoplights or anything they can just step out into traffic anytime they feel like it and traffic will instantly and automatically come to an utter and complete halt 
You know what? It's only our generation and younger or no, it's our generation and older. So like probably Gen Z and then back towards the boomer age. All of us, we're the only ones that are going to think that like, oh, I can go out and stop traffic because I'm such a bad actor and how like I'm going to protest or whatever. But everybody that's born with that technology is be like, yeah, that's how you cross the street. You just walk across the street. Why would I stop the <laughs> Yeah, but you're all, it's funny. You, you don't realize this, but now you're using the just world uh, bias. I'm not using the just world. No, 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 no. That's big. This clear. I'm not using just world. Bias. You're like, well, why? Why would people want to stop traffic just to show that they can? Everybody wants traffic to flow freely. No, the, no, no. They don't. The, what I'm saying is the baseline assumptions of those younger generations that grow up with this technology will be different than ours. We are assuming that somebody will want to go out and stop traffic just because they can, but they're just going to grow up in a society where why would you stop traffic? You just go to get to where you're going. Yeah. And then I have to go back to this because it's it's gnawing at my brain because you ever have one of those moments where somebody says something and then your brain immediately connects like five different little stories in its head that it makes up all simultaneously? All the time. Okay. So you were talking about the McDonald's that has no people in it. It's just all automated. And my brain goes, what happens if something breaks down? And I thought, oh, well, they'll just hire one person to sit in there and monitor all the robots and then repair them when they break down. And I thought, well, that's not very economic. What if we could replace that person with a robot, a general purpose robot that they could remotely pilot from a centralized location? So now we have one tech that can remote into like 50 different McDonald's into the little general purpose robot with the hands to un unmess up all of the hamburger making Okay, robots. so we're, we're three level de- levels deep now. Do you want to go one more than that? One where it's just there's the only human beings that work for McDonald's are the ones at the corporate office and like they just telework into all of the McDonald's everywhere across the world all the time. Yeah, because you're never going to outsource the fact that people need to eat like you can't virtualize that. They, they, they still need to consume calories to continue the, feeding their meat sack. This is giving me great reminders. There, all right, this is we're so many tangents in. I don't care at this point. <laughs> there was this great sci-fi book I read that was uh, one of the better ones when it came to like extrapolating what military technology could look like if it got super ridiculous. Yeah, and it, it was this point where they had like you have Marines, they had guys with guns because you can never get away from guys with guns to actually go operate and do things. But what was awesome is this guy like took aim with a sniper rifle and fired, and the second he pulled the trigger the bullet like had a camera and like wings and like little fins on it. And then a drone pilot, like his screens all lit up and like, he had like a fraction of a second to assess like, okay, I'm a bullet. That's my target. Let's fly to it. And this guy took over flying the bullet after it left the rifle. <laughs> and, like this, this, this one pilot was like really good at flying these tiny things. And so like they kept going back to him, like doing all this stuff. Like he'd be sitting there in silence waiting. And all of a sudden his screens would light up. It's like, okay, okay. I'm a grenade that a guy just threw and he's trying to get it over there. And then he would like try to fly the grenade better to where it was supposed to go. Why was it a guy? Well, it, because why? I don't know. You're right. It would probably <laughs> absolutely be artificial intelligence doing it because they have a way better shot. In this book, it was just like everything was a drone. Like anything that okay. could leave your person was a drone that was flown by somebody else. I've found in all of my times traveling around the world, so, there's some things that are very homogenous from place to place, like the ebb and flow of decoration of the seasons, okay. especially within the United States. But being in the deep south like I am now, there's something that's different. And I'm sure it's not that way in Arizona, but it's different in Louisiana than it's been anywhere else I've been. And that is there's something that fills the gap between Christmas and Valentine's Day. Oh, so the January lull. Yes. Okay, what's, what, what goes on in Louisiana in January? 
Well, it's in early February. It's related to the Christian tradition surrounding Easter. It actually goes all the way back to Fat Tuesday, and the holiday is called Mardi Gras. Oh, oh, I, I feel like I should have guessed that. Okay, but here's the thing. They go all out. So you know how you know after Christmas all the decorations disappear in all the stores and then the seasonal aisle in the, in the department store turns into the Valentine's Day aisle? Yes. Every, most everywhere else in the country. In Louisiana, it turns into the Mardi Gras aisle. Okay. So booze I'll, and beads. I'll put yeah, <laughs> I'll put a photo in the in the album. It there it's these gaudy costumes, top hats, vests, shirts that are gold, green, and yellow, which clash and look horrible. I, I can't overstate how pervasive this is. People put gold, green, and yellow lights on their houses. <laughs> People take the Christmas lights off their Christmas tree and put gold, green, and yellow lights on their Christmas trees, and now they're Mardi Gras trees. I love how you're approaching this like a nature documentary that has never seen this weird civilization cultural phenomenon ever before. Like, yeah, I'm aware Mardi Gras is a thing and people go all out for it, but I didn't realize that there was, you know, Mardi Gras trees. Did you know there's official Mardi Gras food that isn't just alcohol? <laughs> I That was going to be my guess. No, what is the Mardi Gras food? It, it, there's this thing they call king cake. It's really just a giant cinnamon roll with gold, green, and yellow sprinkles on it. But it's they, uh. to to make it specific to the season, they take a stupid little like plastic baby Jesus that won't melt in the oven. They stick it in the dough and then they cook it. And so now you have this giant cinnamon roll with the baby Jesus somewhere inside of it, and they call it a king cake. Okay, like the king <laughs> of kings cinnamon roll. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's some kind of tradition like I, if you get the. Baby Jesus, I don't know, you don't got to do the dishes or something. Whatever. You, you make a wish. Yeah, make a wish. So I'll post a photo in the album that I put up with this from my local Walmart. You can see the Valentine stuff lurking in the background, but really the main event right now is Mardi Gras. I don't care about the Walmart aisle for Mardi Gras. I want your pictures at Mardi Gras. I want the oh, selfie okay. with you getting beads, man. What, like, so what, that, where the, so uh, that's coming up next weekend. I'll, we'll talk about it on the next episode of Bad at Magic. No, I'm going to go this year. You're going to go to Mardi Gras. Yeah. You've got to, right? You have right. to. Right. I, I can't it. move out of Louisiana without having experienced Mardi Gras. Now, how many of your daughters and or wives are you taking? Everybody's coming. Everybody's well, coming. For, for okay. better or for worse, we're going to check this thing out. What what are what are the, what's the bead quota? Is there a minimum or a maximum beads that you're allowing your female family members to receive? <laughs> for better or for worse, we're going to check this thing out. I think you should do it as a contest. You should do it by weight because some beads are going to be worth more than others. Like whoever comes back with the most weight in beads should win some kind of prize. I feel like you've seen too many Girls Gone Wild videos. It's going to be way tamer than that, Josh. Well, which Mardi Gras are you talking about, Ben? I'm talking about the kind that happens in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, I'm sure you could still probably We're come not, we're back not going to the French Quarter in New Orleans. Oh, is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, like the super stereotypical one. There's still gonna be some beads, though, right? How I think can it so. be Mardi Gras yeah, without yeah. the beads? Uh, 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 there will definitely be beads, but I, I, it'll be like candy at a Fourth um, of July parade in Kansas. They just they throw it off the float, and you get some. All right, something happened this week, Josh. Something I was kind of upset about, but I guess is is one of the things we have to face in 21st century, and that is one of my favorite YouTube channels got taken down. Like taken down or they just stopped posting stuff? Taken down. Ooh, like what happened to all their old content? All 7,000 videos ceased to exist. 
why? Okay, so what what channel got taken down and like that many videos like deep, not just demonetized, but like this sounds like litigation stuff. Okay, so yes. So I mentioned this before. About eight years ago, uh, I was on Reddit and somebody said something about sumo wrestling and posted a link to a video. And I found a guy named Jason Harris who runs a channel called Jason's All Sumo Channel on YouTube where he would just sit in his living room, point his iPad at his TV, watch the NHK broadcast of sumo wrestling and give American English commentary with the soul of a teacher where he's teaching you as a non-sumo acolyte what's going on, why this is significant, what the move was, and talk about it. And he did this for a decade. And then it sounds like he ran afoul of that sumo league's like legal department. So NHK, the, the Japanese television station that did these original broadcasts, He'd let it go for 10 years. Finally, basically, someone there got a got a burr under their saddle and said, we're going to start reporting to YouTube that these people are pirating our content. Which now, they legitimately were, and they would only start doing that if they were going to start putting out content. Now, Jason had never monetized his videos. He wasn't carrying ads. He wasn't making any money off of these videos. It was just a Simo fan giving American commentary over the top. Yeah, but like in order for him to be fair use, it has to be transformative or satirical in some way. I I think it absolutely was. I, I think you can make a very strong case for that. But there's not a lot of um, due process when a big corporation goes to another big corporation, says that guy's stealing my content, and they look at it and go, oh, yeah, we'll take it down. Well, it also comes back to if he is diverting revenue from the original intellectual property right holder. So if, yeah. if they didn't have any English-speaking outlet – then they would probably let him run and do his thing. But once he became a direct competitor, something they're trying to do internally, now it's a problem and you need to shut him down. Maybe maybe they're going to offer some type of new English language content or something like that. Well, we're but assuming they didn't hire Jason Harris to actually do it professionally. Yeah, he, he's a bit on Twitter talking about what happened. Basically, he, he got cut off and he's done. So I I will say this. I don't have access to NHK. I do have access to YouTube. And without Jason, I wouldn't have become a sumo fan. And I'm really going to miss him. And it kind of made me sad inside. And it made me think about some of the other YouTube channels that have gone away over the years. Oh, well, hang on. Before we get to the YouTube channels that, that we've buried in the backyard with the, with the goldfish. Uh-huh. Like, what are you going to do for your sumo fix? Are you going to get like a VPN and pretend to be a, a, a Japanese citizen? I don't know. I might just stop. There have to be more people like me out there that otherwise had no access to sumo and weren't going to. I'm sure there's workarounds for this. This is this is 2023. You have to be able to pirate sumo somehow. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. NHK is still very much on the broadcast television paradigm. And I've always fought against the broadcast par- television paradigm. And that is... We will put out what we want you to see, and you will watch it, and we'll make money off you by watching ads. I, I love how you said always as if like you had an alternative back in like the, the early and mid-80s. Josh, I haven't paid for cable TV in 20 years. I stopped having an antenna. I stopped watching broadcast anything for all intents and purposes almost two, a decade and a half ago. Uh, we cut off completely in 2013 and I felt yeah. like that was a little early for that to happen. 
Now it's it's normal. This is how people get their TV is through streaming services. Kind of. There's a lot of resistance to it still. And it's because the big corporations have to change their business models. Like all the time, my cable company that only provides me internet access calls me and tries to get me to upgrade my package to include broadcast television. <laughs> I don't think I gave my internet provider my correct uh, phone number. <laughs> I get the letters too, but you get the point. They're still trying to say, oh, maybe you forgot something here. Let's get you into the traditional business model, consuming broadcast television. I don't want to consume broadcast television. Broadcast right. television is the pits. Uh, right. I like content on demand. And the way Jason was rebroadcasting these sumo matches was content on demand. I have his feed. It would come up in my YouTube feed. Some days I wouldn't have time to watch it. I'd pick one or two of the matches out and watch them. Uh, but if it was all coming in in a stream, I either have to watch the whole thing or, or not at all. Uh, is TiVo still a thing? Like, I don't know. I wouldn't even know how I would do it. <laughs> you would get a VPN. To pretend to be a Japanese citizen, and then you would have a streaming service in Japan. Yeah, but then I would have to watch the whole thing or record the whole thing, and, and it, he took all that overhead out of it for me. You filtered hang it. On, hang on, you're assuming that this is not already a solved problem, just in another country in a language you don't speak. I'm sure that they have these kinds of sports packages. We have NFL packages. We have I'm NBA not, packages. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having it posted in stream in on-demand streaming content that's segmented. So if I only oh. want to watch three of the 40 matches, I can just browse through and watch those three matches. I'm sorry. I thought you were simply inconvenienced. No, no, no. This is much deeper. This is, I want it to be curated to me i want a sumo sommelier to pick through all of this chaff and deliver to me only the most golden wheat yes <laughs> that's exactly little, that's, and that's slightly entitled that's gone now and that's uh, okay if you're listening nhk television that's the cost of having me as a viewer if you can't provide <laughs> that i'm gone you, you don't get me nhk sumo sponsor the podcast <laughs> So who are some of yours, Josh, some of your um, YouTube channels that for whatever reason have fallen by the wayside? So, uh, Ben, I, I've fallen down the TikTok hole so deep that I haven't watched a lot of YouTube super recently, mm. but I'm going to reach, I'm going to go you know, way back in the before times when I was like in college and consuming internet culture on a daily all basis. All right, but I want to put a placeholder on that because I want to ask how TikTok can replace YouTube, but go ahead. Oh, it's it's TikTok is actively bad for me in ways that we should probably talk about at some point. Okay. Uh, all right. So I don't know. This is not a YouTube channel, but this was – I consumed a whole lot of web comics back in the day. And there was one web comic that I loved like a lot. Like I loved the art style. I like the guys. I know what humor. it is. What? Penny Arcade. No, Penny Arcade's still a thing. They're still going oh, strong. Okay. Oh, so this is one that's gone now? Yes. This is what, okay, that's what I, you asked me, right? All right. Yes. So I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's called VG Cats. Huh. The I'll site is still up. You can go see his comics. I think he's posted three in the last four years, something like that. Yeah. So like every once in a while he'll draw something, but it's clear this guy got a real job and just this is just still floating out there for some reason. Okay, that's different than like a corporation making a giant copyright claim against you. But yes. Um, oh, one, I'm, like, I'm sorry, did my example? No, no, no. I wasn't trying to to exclude that that example. <laughs> um, one one that I can think of that just like what you said was Homestar Runner. 
Yes. Oh, Flash killed Homestar Runner. Yeah. Well, you know, there's still ways to make animations. And like you said, they've produced a few new videos in the last four years. But their heyday was a long time ago. They got real jobs, found other things to do. That that, that chapter got closed and and we no longer get new Homestar Runner content every week or two. Let's be clear. Like, All right. So, listeners, if you don't know what Homestar Runner is. um, What? What? How cool is that? If you don't know what Homestar Runner is, go to homestarrunner.com. Oh man. And just start. There's a, there's so much content to consume. You'll have a ball. Uh, skip Homestar Runner entirely. Go straight to Strong Bad Emails. Those are that's where the quality content is. Everything else is like Easter eggy almost. It's like, "Oh, I understand. I know who this character is, but it's kind of dumb." I never I never liked any of the other characters or any other nonsense oh, that was happening. I love it all. No. Welcome sp- to homestar10.net. Oh, it's .com. Uh, strong bad emails that's that's what i liked i liked going through every one of those when they came out i liked clicking on all the buttons looking for all the easter eggs that they would build into the flash player you know what i'm talking about yep sitting there watching the same content over and over for hours trying to make sure you found all the little secrets you didn't learn the trick what's the trick if you had the tab key your cursor would highlight the uh, interactive content on the screen you didn't have to spend time searching for it that's the second keyboard shortcut you've taught me, I think, in the last 24 hours that I that was good to know. I think I texted you earlier today where like, just recently, like in the last couple of months, I found out in Excel, if you hold down control and then push an arrow key, it'll jump to the end of whatever the content is. So instead of being super annoying because, Ben, I don't know if you know this, but I'm an accountant. Yeah. And so I do a lot of spreadsheets. And so having to click drag giant ranges over and over and over all day gets tedious and time consuming. Now I can do shift control and push down and it just highlights just the content that right. I want. Oh, that has it saved goes to me. the last the last used line of the spreadsheet. Yes. And it is it is I'm getting like moments of my life back, like like legitimately my my quality of life is better. And then, like, I sent that to you and you're like, oh, you probably don't even use Windows key arrows to maximize your windows, do you? And I was like, what is he talking about? And I clicked on a window and you arrow a windows key and then arrow left and it snaps it to the left. Windows right snaps it to the right up the top down minimizes. And that's that's going to save me so much time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I love keyboard shortcuts. I I still use them. Um, Okay, another one that I missed from the early days of YouTube was one called Barats and Beretta. It was two uh, friends, I think. That just made like stupid content. They did songs. They did parody videos. There was one that I think went ultra viral and really got them famous where they were trying to make a video where they were telling their mother happy Mother's Day and they kept getting in fights while they were filming it. (laughs) I've never seen that. They did this one called Jesus Pwned You where they had a guy dressed up as Jesus and kids in a park playing sports. And then out of nowhere, some guy in sandals and a a wig would come running out and like slap the ball out of their hands. Well, you can't get mad at him. It's Jesus. Anyway, it was just the early days of YouTube before it was even monetized. And these guys were just, they got their own website and they got famous. And then I think they got hired by like television companies to produce real content. Then they stopped producing new videos. And every now and then I go back to their channel hoping that maybe they've just made one more. But they haven't. No. You're subscribed and you're just waiting for that notification to come in. That's <sighs> funny. Uh, I feel that same way sometimes about CGP Grey. Like Why? He, does, he still makes new content. Does he, though? Like, he does... Uh, he, I, I love all of his educational YouTube videos. And there was a time, I feel like... So, there's this this curve, right? At the beginning, it's like... It's educational, it's good, and I liked it. But then it just, like, the quality and the, and the script writing and everything got better and better and better. 
and it it peaked like two years ago. And ever since, like, I feel like the COVID pandemic, he's been on the downhill. Like the number of videos that he's released has slowed to a trickle. The quality, like the content. His last one was two months ago, and it's called The Maddening Mess of Airport Codes. And I, I like these kind of videos. He also did one about the interstate uh, numbering system for interstate highways. I, I saw that one, too. Listen, I, I've seen every one of his videos multiple times. He's a victim of his own success. I'll, I'll tell you, because there are some videos he's made recently I can't watch, and here's what it is. Once you reach a certain level of success where you can just fart out anything you want and everyone's going to watch and you get a bunch of money then he can indulge and do things that might not necessarily be as popular he did a two-part series on the history of the name tiffany okay i i actually liked the the two-part tiffany video. I, I hated it it was boring and acid <laughs> and i had turned it off and refused to watch the second half well i so anyway like yeah i like his content i like all the stuff that he produces and it's good quality content but the number of videos that he's released has decreased steadily, like over time, like to the point where you said two months ago that I can't believe that it was only two months ago. It feels like it yeah. was forever and a, and a day ago. But then also, like a lot of his videos, if you're looking at his channel, it's like, oh, this is a video uh, or a self video of me letting the Tesla autopilot through the windiest street. I'm like, I don't care. Like, teach me something. And it's just 10 minutes of this Tesla driving itself through a windy road. It's like, who cares? Yeah, yeah. And he has two channels where he's wise, like in his YouTube content, where he'll have like a secondary channel where it will be those kind of videos where it's just talking and mon- and vlogging and those kinds of things. And then his really highly refined animated videos are all in on the other channel. I feel like he gives off the impression that he's got other stuff going on. Like he's yeah. making his big money elsewhere and everything else is just kind of a distraction. That's what it really feels like. So here's the thing. And there was one that was on both of our lists. And that is the Hello Internet podcast. Yes. I was a huge fan of the Hello Internet podcast, which is CGP Gray and Brady Heron, who has multiple YouTube channels that are very, very interesting in their own right. Yes, yes. They're two very different people. They have great chemistry together. And I loved listening to them argue about just stupid nonsense. Yeah, and and it really felt like it was going to go on forever. I mean, Brady was making um, souvenirs and talking about the Hello Internet Museum and releasing albums on vinyl, wax cylinders or whatever. <laughs> and, and it just felt like it was going to go on forever. And then one day, uh, two years ago, the last episode happened and you didn't know it was the last episode and they haven't done one since. Yeah, they never spoke to why. Like in the episode, they didn't say that they were going it's to. It's not on Twitter. It's not on Reddit, it's not on social media, anywhere. There's no way to know. There's been wild speculation amongst the fans, but no one knows. Which is I, crazy in today's day and age. Like These are both popular content creators that were clearly making a lot of money on this product, and neither one of them has said why it stopped. It's so weird. I supported them on Patreon, and you can see on Patreon how many people support someone. They, they made $10,000 just by releasing an episode. Oh, like, that's the life, man. Right. Okay. But here's the thing. How, what must have gone wrong for them to leave that on the table? Because they also had sponsors. So between sponsorship, views, uh, you know, and the, and the Patreon money that they would get just by releasing an episode, they, there must have been some kind of acrimonious dispute over money or rights that, that ended it all. Some inconsolable argument or disagreement or something. Like, that's the only thing that makes any sense. Otherwise, like, the only, the only other possible explanation is opportunity cost. Is that even despite the tens of thousands of dollars they were making every, was it, two weeks that they released their episodes? Yeah. That's a good release schedule. I think people should stick to two-week <laughs> release dates. 
Like, despite the tens of thousands of dollars they were making every two weeks, that must have been taking a legitimate amount of time away from something that was even more lucrative. That can, that, that's got to be it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. If, if we ever know, we'll, if we ever find out, we'll talk about it on this podcast. It's, it's one of the great mysteries of the internet. Like you said, it, it, with information being as free-flowing, you think it would have leaked out by now, and yet it doesn't seem to have. No one knows. It's weird. Ben, if I, I will promise right now, I'll promise to listeners, and I'll put my voice onto the internet so it's there forever to haunt me if I ever go back on it. If we start making $10,000 an episode in this podcast, like I will quit my job and like the time that we're not recording this podcast, I will live stream and just sit here and just do inane chatter with whoever <laughs> wants to jump in the chat with me. All right. I got one more I want to talk about that stopped kind of. So back in the early days of YouTube, there would just be guys like, you know, videos that would go viral one time, like that guy Tay on Day that would sing that song where he'd turn his head away from the mic to breathe or whatever. I forget. It was um, Chocolate Rain. Chocolate Rain. That was the song. Songs like that. Um, but guys like that wouldn't continue producing content well there was this one his name was freddie greddy i think he was swedish but he spoke pretty good english and you could tell he grew up consuming american content and he released this video that to this day is my favorite youtube video of all time it's a video montage of him playing a little handheld flute playing the theme song from the legend of zelda the wind waker okay and then after he starts playing it on the flute, then it shows him playing a little handheld drum and a little uh, guitar and some pots and pans and some glasses and singing in a chorus. And it backs out and out and out until he's doing this whole song. And it is glorious. It's, <laughs> it's just a thrill to the sights and senses. And it's just this humble little teenage kid who's a really talented musician who made this towering achievement of a video that, you know, got, I don't know, 40 million views on YouTube. That's cool. Link in the show notes, my favorite ever YouTube video. After that, he kind of played off that fame and just started making other random content. Like he would release a montage video of him playing uh, all the theme songs from the car- uh, cartoons that he grew up watching or uh, all of the sitcom television shows or whatever. And he's a really talented musician. And then one day he just kind of stopped. I don't know. Maybe he got a band. Maybe YouTube wasn't. He did have a few con- um, uh, copyright disputes, so I-, I don't know what happened. I wish he would come back. So if I had my wish, brought some Beretta, Homestar Runner, Freddy Greddy, uh, Hello Internet, come on back. Well, don't come back. Like if you're doing well, then good on you, and stay doing what you're doing. Like <laughs> don't don't give up lucrative life choices just because Ben wants you to make more content. Interesting for him. perspective. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I don't wish someone like that well. I so. That brings up an idea about how we get nostalgia for the things of the past that either isn't justified or it's just you need to move on. I think everybody can say that. And people have been saying that about all the Star Wars fanatics. Huh. Like I've seen this meme recently. I think my brother sent it to me first where it's like, you know, you guys like talk about Star Wars all the time and how you love Star Wars. And all you do is dog on it for not being good enough. Like, do you actually even like Star Wars? Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, you get nostalgic for like the breakfast cereal that doesn't exist anymore that you used to eat as a kid or, you know, the restaurant chain that went out of business that was near your house. But if those things don't exist anymore, were they good? Um, so I'm trying to think back to the things that I ate as a kid that I, that I can't eat anymore and I still do. I just recently switched off of Frosted Flakes, which is what I ate when I was growing up as a kid. Um, the favorite place to eat when I was in high school was Whataburger. 
And there's not one around here, but if I wanted to drive for 15 minutes, I could get to one. Yeah, but I can think of examples of both of those things that don't exist anymore. Okay. Well, Mr. Who's being the pessimistic one in this podcast? Well, no. Well, I like what you said when I was like, I I wish, I wish Hello Internet would come back. I wish Freddie Greddy would produce videos again. I wish Brought and Bretta would, but maybe, maybe they're better off and maybe I'm wrong to wish for that. Well, this is, this is actually kind of, don't let me get deep here for a second. Maybe it's just because I'm on my second beer already, but maybe this is how we, uh, our differences in approaching loss. Like, Huh. Like I don't know. I appreciate the things that I that that existed, and I, I I appreciate the value that they brought to my life and the utility they provided to me. But now that they're gone, like all that does is serve to heighten the what I remember, the quality of them. I'd rather yes. die at the peak of the mountain than like I, I yeah I'd rather them disappear when I was at the peak of like oh this is great I can't wait for the next episode to come out rather than watch them you know, fall down this mountain of Game of Thrones season eight and just disappoint me. And now I've left <laughs> with a sour taste in my mouth for all of time. Yeah. I tell my kids that about friendships sometimes, especially when you're a child in the military, you're going to have some lost friendships. And I think you can look back on them, like you said, with the lens of utility rather than like, if I don't have a friendship that's lasted till today, then it was never of any value to me. Happiness and sadness are on the same scale, and you can't have one without the other. So if you don't experience sadness, can you ever truly be happy? Aw, that's nice. Okay, you put in the notes that I destroyed your listening ecosystem. What are you talking about? Oh, Ben. Like, so, okay, I have to preface this before I launch into this. I have to say thank you. You are a thoughtful, caring, and giving person. But how dare you get me expensive gifts without telling me, and then they just show up on my doorstep. (laughs) What are you talking about? Do you know the consternation you caused when we opened this package that was addressed to me? All right, so here's the thing. First of all, when we order from Amazon, which we do on a daily basis, it all, all of it comes to my wife, except for the very select few things that I want to get and not show her before she opens it. Oh, so if something comes with your name on it, it means it's like a gift for your wife and she shouldn't open it. Yes. And like her birthday is tomorrow. And so I had packages coming with my (laughs) name on them all week. Well, why didn't you give it to her? Well, so we're standing there on the credenza. We have a credenza right inside where we put all our Amazon packages. And I was like, oh, this is one of the gifts that I bought for you for your birthday. It's a little early. I've got other ones that are coming. Would you like to open this one now? What? And then she goes, uh, sure, okay. And so she opens this oh, no! Amazon package. Nicole, I'm so sorry. And she opens this. These these. Ben bought me uh, Raycon earbuds for my listening ecosystem. And we didn't know that. And she's holding, she's like, I don't, I have earbuds. And I was like, I didn't order you earbuds. Are we sure these are ours? And we double checked the package label. Nope, this is definitely my name. And this so address. when you sent me the text asking me if I got you those, you were sitting there with your wife trying to figure out if they were hers or not. I was trying to figure out if this was a mistake that Amazon had sent me the wrong thing. If... It, they didn't come from Amazon though, did they? They came straight from Raycon. Oh, I, I didn't even check. Like, yeah. it's just a package amongst, like, the okay. five other packages we got that day. So I'm Have we reached that point where Amazon means anything you got in the mail? Oh, anything that shows up at the doorstep, yeah, probably. Like, we say we Google something when we didn't necessarily search the website Google.com? What other website would you go to search for something? <laughs> Did you really just go to Alta Vista and say, take me to Gmail, please? <laughs> I'm just saying, is Amazon become so ubiquitous that they mean anything you get in the mail now? In our household, yeah, because why would I get any other mail? (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so you got the earbuds that I sent you. So you got I got the earbuds that you sent me, and thank you so much for them because You're I was I wasn't necessarily complaining. I was explaining that at some point I would get earbuds once the current ones I had died because I'm a I'm a function. I get it, but it sounded like you were suffering with those old ones. I'm a function over form guy, and yeah. like they were still functioning, and so it doesn't matter what the form they were. But these are super nice, and uh, I'm this is this is the thing though they are uh, different in one key way. That has completely disrupted my listening ecosystem. Okay. I'm interested to know this. All right. There's no wire between them. Okay. Right. Okay. Before you could like wear them like a necklace. Exactly. And that's the thing. Whenever I wasn't actively listening, I would take my old ears out and they would click together because they're little magnets and they would just hang around my neck all day like a little necklace. I would just have them there when I needed them. Right. And they had enough standby time because they were bigger. They were bigger or something. I don't know. They had enough standby time to just... I could be listening to them for 10 straight hours and let them stand by the rest of the time. And all day they would go without recharging. Okay. So like they would just come in and out of my ears as I needed. Were they heavy? Was there a big battery pack on them? No, not at all. They were weird. I can show them to you. I don't have them with me, but like they're okay. There's just a wire. Okay. And like it had a little extra box like near my, like halfway down one side with the buttons and like the microphone on it. Uh-huh. So maybe they hid some battery capacity in there, perhaps. I don't know. Okay. But the ability to take them out of my ears I took for granted, and that's what's different about these ones. These ones are great, uh. by the way. The listening experience is wonderful. They have great noise canceling. But I'm hard of hearing anyway, and so, like, I can't take them out. If I'm not listening to anything, they just – that's where they stay. They have to stay in my ears because I have nowhere else to put them. And I'm I'm terrified that I'm going to put them in my pocket and forget and wash them. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm working on like there's a little case and I'm I'm showing Ben. It's like I don't know how big is this, uh, um, a couple it, inches by an inch. Like, yeah, it's, it's not intrusive. You can easily carry this around in your pocket. And so what I'm trying to get in the habit of is keeping this with me. So if I ever have to take them out for a long period of time, I can stow them in this thing and throw them in my pocket. Yeah. But um, yeah. So the other day, my wife she was talking to me and I was talking back to her and she's like. She stops in the middle of our conversation. Goes, are you listening to something right now? Can you even hear me? Like, what's going on with the ear things? I'm like, I, they're not on. They're they're there's nothing playing in my ears. I'm talking to you. She's like, this is just going to be a thing now. You're just going to have <laughs> things in your ears for all time. <laughs> that makes me think of like sci-fi movies where uh, they have you know headsets on where it's broadcasting video on your face and you can hear things and you're just constantly being bombarded by multiple streams of information. All at once. I think uh, I'm toying with the idea that one of the solutions could be to just wear one at a time. Like when I'm about like, when I'm just like doing stuff, like if I yeah. just walk around the house or if I'm just having one on standby, just keep one in and keep the other open so I can portray that like I'm still actively listening to you as a person. So I've been wearing Apple AirPods for about four years, maybe five. Okay. And I, I, I've I've come to have a set of rules about them. If I'm talking to someone my age or older I have to take them out of my ears even if they're off because people think of that as rude. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, no, I, I do because I thought that today when I was walking around with them. Like I'm going to walk up to a counter and interact with a person. I have to take these out of my ears or else they're going to think I'm not listening to them. But younger – for instance, if I have them on and they're making a noise, I can reach up and double tap on the on the right one. That's the way I have them set up and it will pause whatever I'm listening to. If I'm talking to a person that's younger than me, they recognize that as sufficient. Oh, okay. They go, okay, that person's paying attention to me. I saw them do the thing that pauses them, and they give me a pass. An older person will keep staring at them until I take them out. 
<laughs> so these have something that I've never had before, and that was the, um, they call it uh, awareness mode. Audio pass-through? Yeah, that's basically what it is, where it turns on the little microphones that it has for the phone and then passes through the noise that's outside your head into your head. So it's like they're more transparent and not there. So it's mixing together the audio signal that you're streaming over Bluetooth with a live stream of what's happening around you. Yes, and that's something that I can appreciate that I will. That I was actually using that earlier today because I had them. I was making dinner. I had bought my hands full, and I didn't want to keep taking them in and out as I'm interacting with my family. But I was yes. still listening to my book, and so I just put them in awareness mode. And so if anybody addressed me, I could still hear them and you know double tap to pause. Yeah, oh, we're so close to solving this, but we're not quite there yet. I tell you, I hate it when I'm like chopping an avocado and my phone rings and I don't have a way to answer it without touching something. Ah, that makes sense. Well, just use your knuckles, right? Yeah, kind of. I almost can. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> like, what you need. Uh, that's what I need. the back the, of my hand on it. I need the chat GPT AI in my earbuds so I can like it can contextualize and realize what I need in this moment. Right. Oh, yes. Here's another weird thing is... This is probably a unique problem to me, but um, I I very frequently am listening to books while I'm running, okay? And my running app, I have an app that tracks all my runs, and it updates me on where I'm at every five minutes and then also every mile as two separate uh, notifications with different things that it tells me at those yeah, times. Yeah, and you can change that, but that's, that's what you have set up. Right. Well, here's the thing is I found that there's a problem with the software in my phone that down at like the firmware level, I'm sure. Because it's it's happened over multiple phones now, where if I'm listening to a book and then I hit a mile marker and it starts telling me about, like, it, it, it stops the book and it starts telling me about the mile marker, right? But the uh -huh. book is still queued up because as soon as that goes away, I start listening to the book again. But if I'm listening to the book and then it does the mile thing and I hit a five-minute interval, all three, everything breaks. Like, everything <laughs> just, just goes to crap. So this is the thing. On my, on my old earphones, it would stop my book. And then it would it would kill all of the audio for everything. It would just say activity paused, and like it would just it would just like give up and abandon all hope. Ye who enter here, like it would <laughs> it would pause my run, it would pause my book, and like the phone would freak out. This the, makes me wonder what are the other things we have like this in our lives that are when the planets align. Oh, and this so I was this happened to me with these new earbuds when I was out running. So oh. uh, my son has football practice twice a week, and I take the opportunity to run while he's at football practice because there's okay. a little jogging track around the park. And I was like, I can get my run in while he's doing his thing. So kill two birds in one stone, right? Well, these ones were different. This was a completely unique experience for when the three aligned. The planet still aligned again. And I was interested to see if it was my old earphones that was doing this or if it was just the phone. It's the phone. Oh. But like everything crashed the same way. It paused my book. It paused my, my running activity. But then also, this is weird. The headphones went into awareness mode for the first time. Oh. So I don't know what happened, but like everything freaked out. <laughs> You're like, whoa, <laughs> suddenly I can hear ambient noise. Uh, well, which was, yes. And I, I went and researched how to turn it on and off after that because I needed to. Because with the awareness mode on and I was outside running, when the wind was blowing, I was getting that feedback like when you can, when you're talking to somebody on the phone and you can tell they're in a windy place. Like when you're blowing on a microphone, that, that sound. Yes. That's the sound I was getting actively oh, piped into my ears. you're like, what's listening. going on? <laughs> well, I knew the awareness mode was on because it's like, it goes, oh, book paused, activity paused, awareness mode activated. I'm like, whoa, 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 what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
hang, hang stick with me here for a second. So I have a 2007 car. It's a weird convergence of technology in that age because it has a cassette deck in it. Hang on, it hang has on. A, did you just refer to 2007 as an age? Yeah, uh, it, uh, it was it was the transition from the analog age <laughs> to the digital age. Cellular service wasn't yet ubiquitous. Definitely Wi-Fi wasn't a thing. Um, you know, it was just we're, it, it, we were transitioning. Are you sure you had, you're not mixing up 2007 with 1997? I have a 2007 Acura TL, which was a, you know, higher end brand back then, but it's, you know, got... 260,000 miles on it now it's it's an old car but it was nice back then okay so it has a cassette deck it has a c a, a disc changing cd player that could play mp3 discs and not just regular uh discs those are the good ones it has a dvd player in the trunk that it uses not to show videos but to run the software that runs the um navigation system that's now obsolete so i have a screen on my dash that can still navigate if my phone breaks but i never need it and then and then it has an aux port and it had rudimentary bluetooth at the time that was only designed to answer and receive phone calls but it won't work for streaming music okay so i don't have an elegant way to connect it to my car except to the aux port which is hidden inside the armrest in the center console so initially all i was doing is i had a dongle that went from my phone to my aux port but because of the way my phone is it it was a newer model that no longer has a headphone jack i could either (laughs) choose between charging my phone or connecting to the aux port so this is a 100 percent iphone problem because android users don't have this problem okay yeah, are the but U- even our, our USB-C port can carry power and data at the same time. It, it'd be different problems because if I had an Android phone and I needed to plug in a USB-C, well, well, you can get it. So I tried multiple dongles that are made for Apple phones that'll allow you to charge it while you're doing data, and they they weren't elegant and they didn't work very well. Um, okay, all that aside, my car's aux port stopped working. I don't know if it was the wires in the connection or something like that. And now it's like I got to take my car apart to figure it uh, out. Or I could do something else. So I went back to another old technology that was a stopgap. I got one of those little no, things you that you didn't. plug. Yeah, you... I got one of those little things that you plug in your cigarette lighter that oh, broadcasts on a local oh, FM radio it... <laughs> station. I remember those. Here's the thing. My car has two cigarette ports and my antenna for the FM is on the back of the car. So if I put it in the front cigarette port, it's just there's too many things in the way and it gets too much interference. But if I put it in the back one, it's down inside of the armrest and it has the buttons and the microphone on it. So if my phone rings and I want to talk to them on it, I have to open up the armrest and talk down into the armrest in order to talk to this thing. Are you are you still rocking the stock like stereo system in this Acura? It has a really nice stereo system. It's the one thing that's aged well in this car. It's glorious. Well, you say that, but it only interacts with your phone via Bluetooth for phone calls. Like, you can get a, right, a right, non-stock right. stereo. But I'm talking that... about the, the amplification and the speakers and the, you know, bass range and the tweeters and all that. It's really that, good. That's fantastic. Just replace the guts, the thing in, in your in your dash uh, that actually does everything. It's so custom, Josh. It's it's just, I, Okay. I have lots of reasons. I don't want to get into all that. Anyway, I keep getting these half-step mock-up things that never actually solve the problem. I've got to integrate a microphone I'm not using. I've got a screen I'm not using. It, it, the The wireless doesn't work. Sometimes the radio station gets interference. I, I just cannot find an elegant solution. I'm the elegant have to do solution the is to replace the stereo in the freaking dashboard, man. 
that does okay. that that connects to your phone with Android or Apple Auto the way you expect it to, and you get the full functionality of the phone in the car. Here's the thing: there's only one really good one out there that does what you're saying in a way that I really like, where it replaces the whole center console stack with one giant screen, one giant touch screen. Oh, you're that, oh geez, you're talking about aesthetics now, dude. That yes, that fits in, but there's. Lots of complaints in the user forums about it not being fully integrated with the like climate control and stuff and causing issues once you install it. So I'm kind of w- biding my time until all that works out before I install it. I can solve your problem for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Get any other uh, aftermarket stereo system for your for your car that will integrate with like the speakers and your phone, and then go get a 3D printer. And then custom design a little insert that'll fit over top of it that'll make blend in with your dash or whatever the way that you want it to. It doesn't. It's how, how is this? All right. So you're you're complaining about like if you're on a phone call, you've got to shout into like your cup holder and get into a car accident because <laughs> you're not watching the road. But at the same time, in the same breath, you're gonna look at me like I'm not gonna upgrade it because it'll look janky. Like, dude, you can't have it both ways. I am for now. I, I'm not satisfied with it. I'm gonna I'm gonna upgrade to the Tesla screen at some point. No, you are not allowed to complain about the poor functionality of your of your of your car stereo system if you are unwilling to accept anything but the most premium aesthetics. Uh, sure you can, Josh. You can complain about anything you want anytime. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's your right, I guess, even if you're wrong. All right. Well, speaking of complaining about things, we need to talk. To, we need to talk about magic for a little while. This is the Bad at Magic podcast. For uh, f- so this week, uh, there's a new magic set coming out. It's called Phyrexia. All will be one. Uh, yesterday was the first of the pre-releases, and you'd I'd said something about going to it, and you said what you tend to say to me when this happens. You go, oh, I wish I could go to those." And I always think, "Why? What's stopping you?" Just like you said to me, what's stopping you from putting a new car stereo in your car? So uh-huh. now it's your turn, Lucy, to do some splaining. Oh, oh, deep cut. There's going to be like four people that appreciate that reference and other people are just like, what is he talking about? All right, Ricky, here's my explanation. <laughs> so first of all, I was much, much closer to going to this pre-release in paper than I think you realize. Okay. to the point, That's a surprise to me. To the point where I had it scheduled. Like, I found a local game store that was having a pre-release. It was within a time constraint that I could uh, uh, I could meet. Like, I could go to that, and then I would show up on time for to record this podcast. But then I recalled a very important fact. Like, all right, so I didn't recall the fact. I knew the fact. This happens to me a lot, and I'm going to... Maybe you can sympathize. Have you ever held two distinct facts in your mind at the same time, only to later realize that, they are linked in a way that you didn't realize at first. Like you can think uh, about one. And go can... on and explain it. I think I know what you're saying, but but go on. Okay, so I was fully and completely aware. I did not forget. I am on the record, Nicole. I never at any point forgot that this weekend was your birthday. <laughs> never forgot that my wife's birthday was this weekend. Uh, okay, yes, I've definitely done that thing. But at the same time, I was looking at these schedules like, oh, I could totally make this this magic pre-release of this local game store and be gone for like, you know, three or four hours, then come home and sit around for 20 minutes and then go back out to record the podcast for another three or four hours. And then like, it took me realizing those two thoughts at the same time to be like, Oh, I would be gone for like a whole day. 
and it's her birthday this weekend. I like those two things conflict in a way that I can't I can't do the others. Okay, that's fair. Taking away the fact that this weekend happens to be your wife's birthday, really what's keeping So, you introduced me to Magic. We learned to play together and we enjoyed it for years and years and for various reasons you stopped and yet you've been enjoying it lately online and you've still kind of resisted coming back to it. What is the weighted average that's keeping you from going back to playing Magic in person? Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of things, man. It's, it's one thing is I don't have like a friend locally that I can enjoy the hobby with. Like you are the only other person in my life that appreciates this hobby to any real extent. And like the, the ability to share this passion with somebody is, is any pet, not just this passion, but any pet. Like if you have a hobby, you want to share it with people. You want to have somebody that you can have deep dive conversations about. Yeah, I think that's true about anything. You know, if you're, I don't know, you make model ships, you got a club of guys that go out on Saturday and put your boats out on the lake. You you, you make model trains, you go to the model train store and you hang out with the other model train guys as they're building model trains in the store. Yeah, like you want to share your hobby with other people, okay? Yeah. And right now I don't have any other, anybody in my life like that. Okay. That's that's one reason. And the other reason is, I'm worried that I'm going to fall down that rabbit hole. Like only like only in a joking matter because I have better self-control than that now. But when you met me, when we met and I introduced you to magic, I was spending yeah. hundreds of dollars a month on this hobby. Yeah. And But at the same time, I was also single with no attachments and just making just buku bucks from my perspective. I think that's wise, Josh, and, and, and mature of you to recognize your personality and know your limitations and just be like, you know what? I can just stay out entirely. I, there's um, one of the, a professor of the Harvard Business School named Clayton Christensen, and he talked about why he dis, made th- decisions about things that he would do 100% of the time because doing it 100% of the time is a lot easier than doing it 99 or 98% of the time. Okay. So that's like this. And, and then – it, always, it comes back down to utility. Like, I really did want to go to this pre-release just because, like, I think this new set that's coming out, Phyrexia, Phyrexia all will be one. The Phyrexians are, like, Magic's oldest bad guy. Like, the story behind it is just so awesome. And, like, the flavor that they're doing is so cool. And they're they're completely turning the tables on, on how Magic mechanically and story-wise is going to work going forward. So there's a lot happening that I really appreciate. And it just has yeah. an artifact set, which is. I think of the them like the sets. Borg from Star Trek. They're, they're absolutely they're trying Borg, to assimilate yeah. everything. Yes, and they're fantastic, and they're winning at this point in the story. And I, I don't know. I just wanted to be a, a part of it, and I really was going to go, and I was going to go by myself, and I was just going to be enjoy being around other Magic people for a while. And, and but then it conflicted the fact that you know it's my birthday. We just had a little good at husbanding moment. Well, instead, uh, instead, I um I bought all of the 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 pre-purchase stuff that you can for Magic Arena. Typically, I don't spend money on Magic Arena. I just do the the daily quest to get you the, the free currency and then use the free currency to play the things that I want to play. Which and is possible, but not enjoyable. It's possible, but it's slow. It takes a long time to build up that currency to any real point. But the, the idea is I usually save up enough currency before a new set comes out, and then I'm good enough at the drafting that I can just keep going on the on the free and maybe drop 20 bucks into it every month or two. Yeah. This time, when I recognized I wasn't going to make the pre-release, I actually, uh, there was two packages that they had for this set that's coming out of Magic Arena. And I just, you know what? I'm just going to treat myself. And I spent 
Oh, I spent 50 bucks and I bought both of the packages and it comes with a bunch of draft tokens and it comes with a bunch of like random nonsense that I'll get utility out of. So okay. that, that, that was my compromise. Well, I did a draft t- this morning because my store ran out of the pre-release packs, which I was disappointed in. But I went two and one and got a bunch of set boosters. It was fun. It was a good time. Oh, I want I want to ask you all of the nerdy questions about like what you played and like how it went and what you ran into and like you never you didn't ask me like you usually do about like what the set mechanics are and things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not feeling as as committed to this one. I don't get it as into the story as you do, and it, it's just another set, and it kind of feels it, there's some things happening in my life that's making me start to back off mentally from magic, maybe to get closer to where you are right now. Whoa. And whoa, whoa, whoa. Intervention time. Ben, real talk, buddy. Are you okay? <laughs> Is all everything right. all right? So let's do a bad at life segment. So I saw an um, orthopedic surgeon this week and got an MRI for um, some just cumulative damage to my left shoulder. I think you may have actually been present for one of the events, but over time I've had some injuries to my shoulder to the point where I'm, the doctor is recommending a joint replacement. A shoulder joint replacement? Yes. What did you do that you need a shoulder? Are you a professional rodeo clown? Dude, well, like- I, I've, I've, I've done a full fracture of my collarbone and just, you know, some sprains and, and, and impacts and injuries and stuff. And I got a bunch of crap wrong and it, it hurts all the time. It's hard to reach things high. I can't wash my back. It's difficult to take shirts on and off. Just stuff. Buddy, we've got medical marijuana for that these days. <laughs> in the Air Force, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> is this, your, is, is this your, your disc-throwing shoulder? Is that what happened? No. Thank goodness it's not my disc-throwing oh, shoulder. thank goodness we can still disc golf. Okay, good. So but uh, by the time we record episode 92 of the Bad at Magic podcast, I will have had a you know outpatient arthroscopic surgery on my left shoulder. What are they going to do? Um, there's a bone spur I have. He called it a goat's head. It looks pretty gnarly. Um, he he said he's going to do something to my subacromial impingement and uh, capsulary release, and I don't even know what all that stuff means. It means he's going to bill your insurance for like every penny that he can milk out of him. Yeah. So I kind of had to do this thing where I grab him by the car and be like, listen, doctor, I really need to go on this deployment this summer. I don't need you to do anything where I'm going to like take six to eight weeks to get better. I, this needs to be like two weeks and I'm back on my feet. I'm sure Alicia appreciated that. Yeah, I don't know. That's he another said, discussion. <laughs> he said to me the kind of thing doctors say to you when you get to middle age. We, the reason he's trying to recommend joint replacement now is it's a lot more problematic the older you get. But while I'm young and healthy, he's like, heck, yeah, let's do it. But I'm like, no, I don't want that. I want mine. Fix it. So he's <laughs> he's going to fix it, I hope. But he, he looks at me and he says, all right, but don't think this is going to be a home run. This is going to be a double, maybe a triple. Like it'll, <laughs> it'll be better, but it's not going to be like it was before. He's just trying to set expectations low. So like you don't come back at him. Like how dare you be dissatisfied giving bad Yelp reviews or whatever. Doctors yeah. are all about the reputation when it comes to this kind of stuff. And he's one of those kinds, but uh, that also plays in my favor. Aren't we at the point where he could just like, I don't know, go in there orthoscopically and then spray like nonstick or it's like WD-40 in there and just make everything fine. Can he replace the entire ball and socket joint with like Teflon? It's going to last we're cl- forever. We're close, I, I, I think. I, I mean, I love the Star Trek just wave some blinky lights by someone and cure cancer. No, 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 no. Screw that, sir. It's like, hey, your shoulder's hurt. All right, Doc, we'll take the whole thing off of the collarbone and replace it with a cybernetic, like, uh, diesel-powered cyberpunk hydraulically 
bone crushing like like nonsense. That's what I want. I, I mean, can you imagine if Luke was trying to fight with the lightsaber? He's like, oh, hang on. Uh, I, I need, um, oh crap! I forgot to replace the battery on my hand. You know, like it, it just seems right, so- completely trouble free once they got the cybernetic replacement. They don't show this at all in the movies, but the fact that, yeah, Luke's got a robot hand. But in the Clone Wars cartoons, there's a couple times where Anakin, with his robot hand, will grab somebody and, like, crush almost the life out of them with Uh. that hand. Like, and that's a thing. It's always just seen as a superpower, like with Bucky in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, it's not a superpower. It's just technology. Oh, crap, my arm fell off. (laughs) I didn't have it hooked on very tight. It's like, oh, no, I need a replacement prosthetic robot arm. Let's make it to the exact specifications of the Mark I human body. No, sir, it's vibranium. We're going to put lasers in it. You're going to have, like, a grappling <laughs> hook. Like, the wrist is going to go all the way around so you'll never have to bend your head to eat a taco again. Like, yeah, every But it'll also be delicate can... enough to pick up an egg if you need to. Absolutely. This is what I'm talking about. This is the cybernetic cyberpunk yeah. future that i want to live we're in. definitely not there yet you know what it really felt like that in my lifetime is when eye surgery was new you know and, and they were like okay we could do it and you might never need glasses again or we could blind you irreparably for the rest of your life <laughs> and there were some brave early adopters in that early period there and some then had some problems that eventually got fixed and now we're through to the other side of it where it feels like it, the procedures worked out it's well known it's it's relatively safe and it and it's relatively cheap and easy all right so that's actually something i dealt with and had to ask myself some hard questions when i was why in have college. you never done it well hang on i was in college and the air force came out and said hey if you meet all the other specifications except your eyesight is, is too bad like if you test everything else is fine like if your depth perception is fine if your color vision is fine it's just you need corrective lenses if you want to be a pilot we are doing a trial program where you can get free laser eye surgery. We'll correct the vision, and then we'll let you go apply to be a pilot. I never knew about this. And so this was – but this is the thing. It wasn't LASIK. It was PRK. Ah, and so the difference photo, is – Photoradiokeratotomy. How do you – I? it doesn't matter what I talk about. <laughs> it's an you acronym. Just more, you just drive me nuts with your – like – Okay. Well, for our listeners who don't know the three-letter acronym for these things, like LASIK – is a laser eye surgery where they use a laser to cut a slit in your cornea, the protective surface over your eyeball. Right. They peel it back. Like, it's just a little flap. They cut it on three sides. They fold it back to get out of the way, and then they make adjustments to the lens of your eye. There is a lens in the front of your eye that can squish and change. That's how you see different distances. And if you don't see well, then it's messed up in some way, and they can correct it physically. And then they put the flap back, and then across the parts where they cut, it just heals back together. But it does leave a tiny invisible scar that will never bother you. Well, at the time, the Air Force was afraid that if you were a pilot pulling G's at specific angles, that scar tissue in your eyeball could be weaker and it might, you know, rip the flap back open and then you would be essentially blinded while you're in combat. Is there any reason to believe that? I have no idea if that's true or not. That's what the Air Force believed, which is why they did this test program. So they wanted you to do PRK instead of LASIK. The difference listeners is LASIK does that three cuts, folds it back and then puts it back in place when it's done. And you heal in a matter of a couple of days. PRK, they use the laser to shave that protective layer of your eyeball completely off, adjust the lens. And then you have to wait weeks on weeks for it to grow back. So I never wanted to be a pilot. And so I did think about it just for not having to wear glasses ever again was an appealing thing. 
for listeners, Josh has glasses on right now, I'm so wearing, he obviously I'm, didn't do it. I obviously didn't do it because I am squeamish as all get out, Ben. I would not have made it through that surgery. Huh. I almost passed out when I get my – I did pass out when I got my blood drawn one time. But anyway, my roommate got it, though. My roommate got the PRK, and uh-huh. he was in crippling pain for – like he couldn't leave our room for a full week, and he we had to – we put multiple blankets over the windows and duct taped the edges. They were doing that to you while you were still students at the academy? Yeah, we were. Yes, of course they were. Dude, we, that, feel, that feels akin to like government medical experimentation. It's not akin. It was government experimentation. Like I'm telling you, it was a trial program that they did wow. on us. Now, that said, for the, like, for the first week, he was on hardcore opioids and asleep for most of it, but still in just the most dire pain he's ever been in his whole life. And then for the next full calendar year, he was required medically to wear sunglasses whenever he left his room. Man. But he had perfect and, vision. Yeah, but and that was before they'd invested any money into turning you into a pilot. So yes. like, oh, it didn't work out. Oh, well, we didn't lose anything yeah. on this guy. <laughs> no harm, no foul. Go be a comm officer. What? That's crazy. All right. Well, I'll let you know how the surgery on my shoulder goes. And then if I'm still going to Kuwait this summer. And, and that's changing lots of things. Watch this space. Watch this space. Like, subscribe for more. Stay tuned. Follow, follow me for more recipes. And, okay, and, Josh. And hit, and hit the bell. I got a bad at husbanding slash bad at parenting uh, thing here. Both. Both at once. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to start with bad at parenting. So, my, my um, oldest daughter, who's 19, uh, is home right now just kind of between – uh, graduating from high school and getting ready to go to college. She's been accepted to Utah State University. She's starting this fall. Uh, she'd been living with, I think you remember, I told you that my yeah, I thought wife's she was going to be house-sitting at some point. Yes, kind of. Uh, my wife's sister had gotten had had breast cancer and needed some help at the house, and she was there for a while. And then she got in a job working as a lifeguard and as a substitute teacher, and she was all embedded there. And she's like, okay, but I need to come back home and buy a car from the South that hasn't been, you know, that's that's 15 years old, but hasn't been run around on salt-covered roads for 15 years, and uh, and pack up all my stuff and drive back up there so that I have all my belongings. We're like, fine. So she came home. She's been here since Christmas, uh, and she was just kind of, like, enjoying not having any responsibilities. <laughs> Who doesn't? Right. So I'm finally like, all right, we need to get you a car. She's like, okay, what do I do? And I And this was a... A life moment. Like my two older sons, we hadn't been through this for various reasons. We hadn't gone through this with my older son. So this is the first time I'm helping an adult child buy a car, not knowing anything about it. Like this is Kelly. <laughs> this is Kelly Blue Book. This is, you know, this is a too good to be true offer. This one's too expensive. Oh, man. I remember buying my first car. Dad, my I was like, I'm going to buy a car. He's like, okay. And he came home the next day with one of those auto trader books. That's uh-huh. like just like the classified ads from a newspaper that you can get for free yeah. at any gas station. And he threw it at me and said, all right, find a car. Yeah. Do you feel like that that gave you any overhead? Like to get a listing in that auto trader book, was there a little bit of an assurance that that person wasn't trying to scam you, sell you one with like a counterfeit title or a salvage car or a lemon? or Absolutely no None whatsoever. And I combed through that book and I went through and I thought, okay, I think these are decent offers. He says, oh, okay, that's excellent research. I already found the car that you're going to buy. Let's go see it. And then he took me and he basically shopped for and found the the car that I ended up purchasing as my first car. 
Okay, so as a parent, you probably know this about me. I really value these natural experiments that come along where a child can learn something in a way where they're motivated. It's a, it's not artificial in any way. So I was like, I will help you with this. I will give you advice and, and help you figure things out. But this is going to be your project. My role here is as a coach and a mentor, not as the person getting it done. Right. So... She- Once she finally got engaged, she surprised me. She really dove in. Once I showed her how to use Kelly Blue Book and stuff, she she would come to me and she's like, Dad, this one looks good, uh, but it's it's um you know three thousand dollars below Blue Book. I'm like that they're trying to sucker you. She'd be like, This one's in the Blue Book range, but it looks like it has this issue. I'm like, Okay, that one. Send him a message and we can go test drive it. So she finally found one that she liked. It was a 15 year old Honda Civic. Uh, that looked pretty reasonable from the photos. And there was enough photos and the, the the listing looked legit. And the seller on Facebook Marketplace, which I guess is the new auto trader, uh, had <laughs> a history of selling cars like this. So we, we kind of looked up extracurricularly, found his physical location, and he had like a little auto body shop kind of in the in the bad part of town and uh, where he would, you know, take, buy cars at auction, bring them in and just do minimal repairs on them and turn them around relatively inexpensively okay she was trying to she didn't have a very big budget and she didn't understand this stuff i kept trying to tell her like you're gonna buy a car and you're gonna have to pay for taxes and you're gonna have to pay for registration you're gonna have to get insurance and there's gonna be a couple things wrong with it and, and it's gonna cost more than you think oh, so yeah. it's, it's she, way more than just what the number on the windshield is yeah i mean she paid 3500 for it but i think all told she's it's getting closer to 5000 it's cost her that's still good for a used car in this economy Right, right. So it's it's a 2007 Honda Civic with 136,000 miles, but it's been rebuilt for after a, a collision where it was hit in the rear and 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 rear-ended somebody in front of it. Airbags deployed. You know, it, it's it's got some issues. <laughs> it didn't destroy the engine. It's a reliable little engine, and it seems to be all right. So I'm I'm not worried about her safety or you know uh, or her breaking down on the side of the road. I think it's okay. That's good. And she we can went- pull she can pull start it all by herself. <laughs> <laughs> it is a tiny little engine. We got. Um, Did you show her how to mix the oil with the gas when she gets new gas? Here's the thing: I wasn't ready for. If you buy a car from a dealer that's been a trade-in, they kind of if if it's below a certain threshold, they offload it onto other places. It's like it hurts their reputation if they sell too old or too beat up of a vehicle. Okay. So the like the minimum you can get a car at a dealer for, even a used one, is like eight thousand and up. Well, right, and they've got overhead and things, and they're higher quality and blah, 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 and the rest right. go to that auction house you were talking about. Yes, so if you want one below the $8,000 threshold, then you're kind of taking a jump down, and we really had a crazy experience. So first of all, they wanted all cash, and when I say all cash, I mean like, you know, actual cash. So Can you get $3,000 cash without filling out yeah, forms? That's a, yeah, that's a problem. It's a huge <laughs> problem. Here's the thing. We bank online and have for decades and there are no branches yeah usa doesn't have bank branches right so the only way to get the money is out of atms and and as i've established with the different story i told in this podcast most atms have a limit of like (laughs) how much you can take out at one time yes i remember you trying to pay the taxes on a vehicle with an atm that shuts you down (laughs) yeah yeah so i was wise because of all that so we got our limit increased but still we were going to an atm and we're basically emptying out the magazine oh gosh then we're walking around with a wad of cash. I mean, thirty five hundred is a lot of twenties. <laughs> it's a lot, and yeah, it just felt so bad. 
doing all this. So we got all this cash. We went and paid. And they, the paper was legit. And this place was doing the thing. But then we reached the point in the transaction where we need to notarize. It, I can't tell you, Josh. We needed to notarize the title. Yeah. And he says, okay, come on. Let's go down. It, it was a Saturday. And he's like, okay, let's go down to Crazy Bessie's house. And she'll notarize the title. And we drive down the block and stop under the house of this where there's like this big old tree overhanging this like clabbered paint peeling off the outside's house with a giant <laughs> pit bull with shoelaces at corners of its mouth like slobbering and barking at us. So okay. he he gets out and kind of calms down the dog and tells us to go into this house and we go in and it's dark and it's smelly and there's this lady on oxygen uh gasping for air and leads us into her dining room that's covered it's not a it was cluttered and messy. <laughs> Just well, did she notarize the document pen? Here's the thing. She notarized it, but him and her were carrying on this running, like, friendly southern Louisiana conversation. And she kept asking us important questions in between, like, talking about Ike and Tina Turner. Okay. but like, And at one, at one point, she asked someone's last name, and, and then she just repeated it out loud that was not the right last name and kept writing. And then it's after she... <laughs> After she notarized it, we were walking away. I looked down and she'd written the wrong last name for my daughter. Nice. Okay. Well, that's a problem. And you can't just change a last name on an auto title. So we went back in there and then we had to fill out an affidavit of corrections. And this was just because we're not professional enough to like focus. <laughs> There's still this running conversation about Tina Turner going on. And I'm like, can we just focus? We're trying to do... Cash transaction. How much did you pay for this notary service? $20. Okay, that's cheap for a notary. Right. I, I but... recently had to pay $40 for a mobile notary to come and notarize one of my documents, and I also had to tell her how to do her job because she but almost I've realized forgot to stamp it. There's a minimum threshold I'm willing to pay, and it's not 20 <laughs> <laughs> Like, I need my notary to be a bit more professional than that. Side note, do you know what it takes to become a notary public? Uh... Okay, do you want me to speculate or you just want to tell me? Because I think I know. I mean, you just got to go through a class that shows you understand the you know the kinds of things that are require it and that you do it with. They, they keep a ledger and they have a rubber stamp and they're like, all right, I see that you're doing this document and you're the one it's being transferred to. And I'm witnessing this transaction and they sign it and stamp it. And yeah, you take an online course, you pay a minimal fee, you buy a ledger like that's it. Okay. And it's a honestly, like if you got nothing else going on, it's a nice little side hustle you can do. Yeah. Anyway, finally got all that done. Daughter's got a car. Everything's good to go. On a related note, in the vein of bad at husbanding and bad at parenting, I. Oh, yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Well, you know, th there are my personal quirks and preferences and ideas that lead into things like the fact that instead of taking over and showing her how to do that, I let her take the lead and I supported her through doing all of it. And it got a little bit crazy. And at one point, you know, you know, we were being chased by a pit bull through the neighborhood, but she got a cheap car <laughs> that's relatively is working relatively well. How is that bad at parenting? Did the wheels fall off as you were driving away from it? Like, did you say, well, this turned out to be a pretty good deal, and then know. something a fell off the dad car? might have been more, um, been more in charge of the process, but I let her take the lead on it. And, I've, and as I've watched her take care of it since she's got it, you can tell that she feels like ownership over the whole thing. 
You see, there you go. That's not bad at parenting. You did what you were mm-hmm. supposed to do. Like, you transferred enough of the responsibility of the transaction to her that she feels, and she's taken a personal stake in the maintenance and the upkeep of this car. Yeah, I guess. And, and, and that was just, I had this kind of, I'd never been through this before. I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I had my preferences, but my weighted average was, I need her to take the lead on this so she'll own it. And it worked out that way. However, sometimes there's things about my personality where I'm not satisfied with it. And I think I could be better at this. For instance. It sounds like you just want to go buy a car. Do you just want to go buy a new car, Ben? No. (laughs) I I, I want my radio to work. (laughs) I want my radio to work, but I also want it to look perfectly and not mess up the aesthetic of my 2007 Acura. Yes. Sometimes I'll see other families, and you do this sometimes, Josh, where I, I see something that you do with your kids, and I'm, I, I really am envious of it in a, in a good way. Not like I, this toxic kind of jealousy, but just like, oh, Josh is a good dad. He really cares about spending time with his kids. I like the way he does that. And sometimes it's just a nice little feeling, but sometimes it's serious. Like, I need to figure out how to be like that. And one way I see other parents is um, – I, I like parents that are very warm in a physically affectionate kind of way, like they hug their children. Um, and I it's just been too many years of that not being our standard MO around here that it's weird when I try to do it now. Okay. And I'm trying to change it. And so it just it, it, it's a little bit awkward when I pass them in the house and I just grab them and give them a hug. And they're like, why'd you do that? And I'm like, because I'm trying to hug you guys more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can say that. You can just say, I'm trying to be display more physical affection and express my love and devotion to you people. And I realize touch might not be my love language, but it might be yours. So I'm going to make an effort. Yeah, it just made me think of that. Times when there's something about ourselves that we want to change, whether it's because it's a, you know, a weakness or it's just uh, something we see that we admire that we want to add. Have you asked your kids if their love language is touched? Do they want to be hugged more? Or are you giving them unsolicited, unwanted hugs? That's the thing about having six kids is you got them. It's all over the map. Well, okay. So I, recently I saw a little video where there was a teacher and all of her kids were coming into her classroom. Yes, online. I've seen it. Yeah, She's got like four little things and they point to which one. Do you want the yeah. high five? Do you want the, you the, the handshake? Do you want the you hug? Want little, you want to do a little dance together for a second? Yeah. yeah. You can do that with your kids. Totally. Just put that little little thing up by the front door. And just I kind of like that, me. except that, that that makes it – she only does that during the transaction time when they're all coming in in the morning, and that still requires her to line them up, and you don't really line your kids up at any well, point no, during the perfect. day. We can go to back to a more traditional day, like back in uh, the Mary Poppins movie where like, oh, yes, uh, uh, governess, bring down the children. Yeah. I will Blow see the them. whistle. I will see them for the next five minutes before I dismiss them from my life for the rest of the evening, <laughs> and I will interact with them, and I will assess their state of being. And then they can choose if they want a fist bump, a hug, or a pat on the head. And then I will okay. go about my business. That's awesome. Okay, so I was telling you that little story. Did you think of any of uh, like those parenting kind of things that you want to emulate that you're trying to change from your the old way you did it? So I, I'm always – and this is what's weird about being a parent is you're always thinking about how you were parented. And then you eh, – it doesn't matter how good your parents were because my parents were great. They gave me every advantage and every opportunity, and I have nothing to slight them. But, you know, when you're a kid, you're so fixated on your relationship with your parents. You can always pick out the things like, oh, I wanted my, my parents to do this. Oh, more. yeah. And so there's a couple of things that I'm constantly reminding myself of um, with when I'm interacting with my kids. And one of those things is that um, – so I'm kind of the black sheep of my family, right? 
I was a nerd. I was into role-playing games and video games and technology and computers and just yeah. everything that my dad doesn't like to do, okay? Oh. And I remember what it felt like to be jazzed up or excited about something and getting, like, nothing back from, from my parents. Okay, okay. And, and so whenever so, my son or my daughter go off on, like, descriptions about things that they're excited or enthused about, like, as long as it's a real thing, like, if they're talking about some streamer on YouTube, like, okay, that's that's great. Like, you just need to show it to me because you describing YouTube videos is not doing anything for anybody. Yes. But if they're legitimately pumped up about a subject, I try – in the moment, and it's hard, yes. man. Oh, man, it's hard. To yes. like engage with them about it. like tell me Josh, about Josh, this it. is so touching. Good for you. No, you st- stop it. I love it. I love the, I love that you're like, okay, I want to be interested in my kids' lives because that's a that's a value that I want to espouse and a connection I want to have with them. That's great. It's 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 not about if I like it or not. They like it and they're interested and like that that's the thing. Just you're supporting them, right? Yeah. Yes. And you're right. There are the things that are harder to do that for than others. But I think it's worthwhile to just put some effort into being interested in what they're interested in because they're interested in it. Man, I'll tell you, Ben, I like Star Wars. Like, I legitimately like Star Wars. But my son knows the name of, like, 10 different Clone Wars, like, Clone Trooper commandos and, like, goes off on, like, their whole backstory and things. And, like, it gets to the point where it's it's super esoteric even for me. And it's, like, it's (laughs) – it becomes difficult, but I, I, yeah. I it's worth the effort to be like, yes, tell me more about Commander Fox and wow, he yeah. is different from the, Commander When Cody. kids try to talk to me about Minecraft, I have that problem. Or when my daughter tries to talk to me about skincare routines, oh my gosh, I really try to pay attention, but I so don't want to. So um, I found it makes it a little bit easier if you can find even one teeny tiny aspect of the thing that they're enthused about that you can re- not re- necessarily relate to but that you're interested in like I-, I have a co-worker that was super pumped about she's just so into her eating routine like she she goes to a registered dietitian and she's like and she can go on and on and on about it can't she ad nauseum about the yeah. levels of the different bacteria that are in her system uh-huh. and so like i found that like i hate it like she'll just drone on and on about it forever now, not a problem anymore since we're teleworking, but when we were in the office together, I was, I realized that I could fixate on the chemistry. That's some of the productivity your employer is getting back by letting you telework. This is absolutely true because now this person is not yakking at me and I don't have to pretend to listen for however many hours in the day. But you found something about that you could key in on that you were interested in. Yes, like the actual bacteria cultures and like the body chemistry aspect okay. of it. Like I don't care – what kind of oats that you're mixing with your cinnamon powder. Tell me why you're doing that. What is this supposed to look? What's the end state here? Okay. I got one more. So not only do I do that with my kids, but sometimes I do that with my spouse. And that is sometimes I will see another husband do something in his relationship with his wife. And I think, Ooh, I really like that. I wish I had that in my relationship with my wife. And one of them is when I see them talk um magnanimously and enviously about their wife oh my wife she's such a good whatever i really like that about her and and just brag about her publicly unprompted like no one asked or whatever and it comes up (laughs) and i don't i don't think oh whatever this guy always goes on about his wife i was thinking man i wish i was better about that i wish i was better about thinking about the manifold virtues that my wife has and bringing that up in regular conversation. Well, I don't know. Those are two different things. Like you can be appreciative of your wife's strong points, but then bringing them up in a public setting, like was this person, was their wife present or is just. 
Okay, so the person I think of most was a Navy lieutenant that worked for me back in Illinois, and he never did it in a way that felt forced or unnatural. It was always, it would just come up in the course of the conversation. But was his like, wife there? No. Okay. This was in the absence of her. So he, was, so he was just bragging. He was just flexing on everybody and how cool his girlfriend was. Yeah, but in a way that didn't feel like bragging. That's the envious part about it. So you it, just want to brag in ways that don't make you seem like stuck up or entitled. Is what, kind of, but I'm thinking about what's happening under the hood. And that is that that should be the thing that comes to my mind when I think about what I'm grateful for. Oh, like if I you see. say, what do you do over the weekend? I'd be like, well... You know, after I got all the chores done, I just had a couple hours and I was able to spend some time with my wife. And man, I sure did. I sure did win when I got her in my life. We just had a great time. That was the, that was the best part of my week. Uh, and uh, okay, so that's a, that, that's another thing that we're really talking about is that it's so as a parent, especially, it's so easy to get bogged down in. Ninety nine percent of our life is just fighting entropy, whether it's yeah. working to earn the money to maintain the household or actually doing the work to maintain the household. And you're left with so little else that it's just, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like, ha, huh, Groundhog Day, which just kind of happened. But it's yeah. just like the same things are happening over and over and over again. And you just get these little glimpses of the things that you actually want to do and what you, how you actually want to spend your time. And, yeah, I find that the little time that I get, I want to spend with my wife and my kids. Yeah, that's nice. Me too. And and I want to want to the way that you do sometimes. Like sometimes I'll text you something. You'd be like, can't. I'm going on an outing with the family. <laughs> and then you'll send me text. You'll, you'll text me photos from the outing. And it looks like you guys are having a ball. And I always just look at those with gratitude. Gratitude for your friendship. Gratitude for the um, time you're spending with your family. I just think Stop that's it. so nice. Stop that's so nice. It. I love it. I'm sticky from all these gross emotions. <laughs> all right. It's time for bad at rhetoric. So um, this week on Bad at Rhetoric, we're going to – this one's going to be really quick if I can find my mouse pointer. <laughs> oh, that's the that, – all right. So let's talk about that for a second. As we increase our monitor real estate, that's becoming more and more of a problem. <laughs> we're going to need a – all right, Windows, Windows developers, if you're listening, we're going to need a button that will make the mouse cursor blink the way – oh, Ben. Ben, I just realized maybe we're just old. Maybe we're just getting to the age where we need the the clicker or the little the sound device on the remote control for the TV. <laughs> this living room is too big, and I can't find the remote. I need something to tell me where it is. Is that what's happening with the mouse pointer? This bad rhetoric is called categoria. Um, the definition it says is opening the secret wickedness of one's adversary before his face. The secret wickedness of the adversary before his face. Yes. So when I read this, and it doesn't give a lot of examples, but the examples that came to mind were in the James Bond series. It's almost a standard. Oh, the um, monologuing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but it's almost a standard practice in every one of those movies. Even though James Bond is a very good spy, at some point he gets caught by the arch villain. Well, that's a plot device to for but us the arch... as the reader to understand the perspective of the bad guy. Yes, but the pers- the bad guy, part of his speech, part of his monologue is to tell you his master plan and his desires for world domination and power. But another part of his plan is to tell James Bond why, he's, why he was an idiot for getting caught and why he's weak for following his country and doing the things that he was doing. It's categoria, opening the secret wickedness of one's adversary before his face. Hmm, so this is like, okay, so this is the... 
not just displaying this is my point of view and why it's different from yours, but also this is how you are wrong and why I am superior to you. Yes. My favorite one is from Return of the Jedi. It's when Luke is in the Emperor's throne room and the the, uh, the um, Emperor says – Luke says to the Emperor uh, – oh, crap. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bog, – I'm going to boggle the line, but it, it, it's – um. Your faith in your friends is your weakness. Uh, Luke says, your overconfidence is your weakness. And he says, your faith in your friends is yours. So they're exchanging categoria. They're exposing their adversary's secret weakness. Man, spoilers for Star Wars in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's categoria. Well, All right, Josh. A, before, wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. Let's hear your categoria. So uh, um, I don't know if this is any an example of categoria, but I'm just bringing up like famous like bad guy monologues in, in movies. Uh-huh. This is one of my one of the best comic book adaptations, which was The Watchmen. I don't know if you've seen it. It is a classic. I recommend. It's based on a uh, graphic novel called The Watchmen, which won a Pulitzer yeah. Prize. It is one of the top 100 novels of all time, and it's a graphic novel. I would recommend you reading The Watchmen because it's very, very good. And one of the best parts about it is what the person. I'm not going to spoil that because it is good. That turns out to be the bad guy at the end does this whole monologue about why he's doing all these these things and what the, the thing is. And they're like, oh, you're just – what? You just spat off your master plan and I'm just going to stop you. And he's like, what am I, some comic book villain? Do you think I would tell you all of my plans if you had any possibility of altering them? I triggered it 30 minutes ago. And then it, like it shows in the comic all the stuff that he was talking about had already happened. Right. It's already done. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Classic. Listeners, I think we should pause for a moment here and think of how significant it is with all of the things that we spoil on this podcast that Josh has such reverence for a particular intellectual <laughs> property that he's still unwilling to to spoil it, even though it's like 20, 30 years old. Uh, the Watchman is is really interesting and unique in, in the graphic novel space because it asks the question, like, what do superheroes do when there's no supervillain? And it's really like the superheroes fighting against human nature, and uh, I, I really like it. It's good. Yeah, that was a good. Um, that was a good synopsis. For our last few minutes here, I want to tell you a story. Have you ever heard of the Principality of Sealand? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, Sealand. What 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 is Sealand? Like it's sea or it's land. Pick a lane. Sealand, like Greenland or Iceland, like in a place. I've never heard of the Principality of Sealand, no. Okay, wait till... All right, Josh, I'm going to introduce you to the patron saint of the Bad at Magic podcast. <laughs> oh, jeez. You're, you're, you've got me so... I, what, what are you talking about? Okay, so let's go back to World War II. So in World War II, the British Isles were this fortress where they were trying to defend against the onslaught of the Germans, particularly the Luftwaffe that were coming over and conducting strategic bombing campaigns against military centers in the United Kingdom. One of Hitler's three major mistakes that led to his downfall. Yes, leaving yeah. the Luftwaffe to destroy Britain instead of invading it. So one of the one of the myriad of defensive strategies that the British undertook was to build these off sea forts, off land forts that um, were that would just house anti aircraft batteries. They were very well defended and kind of out in the water so that they could see Luftwaffe aircraft coming across the English Channel or the North Sea before they could get to land and have a chance to uh, bring them down. Flack, just shotguns in the sky. Yes, well they. Technically, according to the law of the sea and international waters, which only extended at the time three three miles out from the mainland of the continent, was the sovereign territory of 
the United Kingdom, uh, they were supposed to build them within that barrier. However, playing fast and loose with the rules and the depth of the seafloor and geography being the case, they built several that were outside of that three-mile envelope. <laughs> this is this is going to go back to our bureaucracy thing where, well, technically they're outside of international waters and so they're a sovereign state. Yes. That's outstanding. Good. You're seeing ahead. So there was one called Ruff's Tower that was seven miles off the shore of the ceremonial county of Essex um, near Ipswich. And basically um, after the end of World War II, it became abandoned and they sent the military out to destroy the ones that were inside of the territory. But this one was kind of weird because technically it was illegal. It was seven miles offshore outside in international waters. The British had basically claimed some territory that wasn't theirs. Oh, no, we accidentally built something to protect our citizens from the genocidal maniac on the mainland outside of the boundaries of the rules. Josh, you're usually the one that speaks up in favor of the rule of law. This was... I I, I I agree. I'm usually the one speaking on the side of bureaucracy and the rule of law. But when like the, the phrase genocidal maniac like overrides a lot of that. <laughs> OK, so here's what they were. Uh, photos in the Facebook photo album. And I might put a link to a video in the show notes. There are these two giant concrete towers that are maybe 20 feet in diameter that extend down to the seafloor and then extend 100 feet above the surface of the ocean. And they're about 30 feet apart. And then they have a platform across the top of them that has a structure where it could house the anti-aircraft guns. And then it had um, a, a helicopter pad. Please, please tell me some nut job got in a rowboat, rode out there, and just decided that it was his now and that he's a new country all by himself. Yes! Oh, that's outstanding. Yes! Okay, <laughs> this was it. In the early 60s, there was a UK Army major by the name of Roy Bates who was trying to indulge in some amateur radio broadcasting. But at the time, the British um, rules about broadcasting over the radio were just utterly... Um, impenetrable that same thing exists here in the u.s it's called the fcc you can't just put a big antenna in your backyard and start broadcasting in fm bands you can't do that right but there's a process for radio for registering and doing it if you want to but for him there was no process there was no way to do it if you weren't the bbc you weren't going to broadcast on the radio okay so he could see seven miles offshore ruff's tower and he decided to go out to Rust Tower and, based on the laws of the sea, it was rest derelict, terra nullis. It was land that was unclaimed, that wasn't technically the British land, <laughs> wasn't the United Kingdom. So he went out there and set up some equipment and started broadcasting what he called Radio Sussex. And it pissed the British off to no end, but they technically couldn't do anything because he wasn't on their land. I mean, they technically couldn't do anything to him, but practically they could do a lot to him. So, yes, and they did. So, after because of this, he made sure it was continuously occupied. And they sent out the Royal Navy and they started blowing these things up anywhere else they existed. So, this became one of, like, the only ones left. Okay. And... In 1967, him and his wife and two kids went out there and declared it the Principality of Sealand. They made a flag. They named it. They declared it its own sovereign nation. And, and he, he was the prince and his wife was the princess. And he had absolutely no idea of the legal ramifications of what he was doing. Oh, my gosh. Well, he must have done some research, but but 
you don't even know the can of worms he opened up. I, I right just just off the top of my head. The next okay, time, go ahead. The next Brainstorm. time, the next time they needed groceries and try to get in their little boat and go across the channel so they can get groceries from wherever, that country's going to be like, whoa, 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 I'm sorry. You're from a foreign country. Do you have a passport? Do you have a visa? What are the trade agreements? What taxes are you going to pay? Is there customs for what you're bringing into our country? Yes. There's just so much bureaucracy that he has to penetrate now. All of that. So over the course of that, he he basically set up Sealand to be its own independent nation. They were still British citizens, but they, as the king and queen, the prince and princess, and that's why it's called the principality because he's a prince <laughs> um, of Sealand. They set up their own passport office and their own visas, and they authorized travel. So, but they the UK, they authorized travel to the principality of Sealand. They were also British citizens, and. The, the British uh, never yeah, got right, right. he he never rose up enough on, above the level that they did things like revoke his citizenship or anything it like that. It would take an act of parliament to actually create or revoke a treaty to say, yea, verily, any citizens of this principality have to give up their UK citizenship or whatever. Right. So that just never happened. Well, um, in the late 60s, you know, they're out there enjoying their their towers and their and their thing, and they're like, hey, we got our own country here. And the word got out. And people started to attack because they're not the British. So there's no police. There's no military. They're their own sovereign country. They sustained seven armed attacks. We're talking Molotov cocktails, firearms, projectiles. Uh, Leave it to the worst of humanity to come out and exploit situations of technical loopholes. At one point, uh, some Dutch and German citizens under the guise of a potential business dealing came out when the prince was away and took his son Michael hostage and and um, kidnapped the prince, basically. Uh, it's it's just the purge. Like, there's no cops, there's no laws, so I'm going to do whatever I want. And it's just the dregs of humanity. Yeah. Well, this same prince, Michael, had basically the government was doing, like you said, where they were kind of stacking up bureaucratic... Um, parking tickets against him and at some at one point he'd come back to england and they arrested him and tried to charge him with a bunch of stuff but it actually backfired because on a lot of the charges they had to kind of acknowledge the existence of this nation that they hadn't yet <laughs> and it became a de facto acknowledgement of sealand sovereignty nice so that, uh, gotta love legal pass. <laughs> oh the they've nuance. made in the mid 70s they went all out they started just like all right what do we have that, that nothing else has we set up our own country here seven miles off the coast of england we're gonna we got a national anthem we got stamps we got coins minted we're issuing passports you know if you're the traveler that wants to check off every country in the world Sealand has to be on your list you need to go get your passport stamped at Sealand. <laughs> In 1978 was this coup d'etat I mentioned where these guys went out there and kidnapped Prince Roy while he was away. So um, Major Roy Bates, in order to rescue his son Michael, sets up a military um, expedition. They land on the platform with a helicopter. They capture the hostile overtakers that took over... The, the principality of Sealand and Sealand happens to have a jail in the basement of one of the towers. That's convenient. So they take these, these terrorists basically and keep them prisoner. And the Dutch negotiated for the release of the Dutch citizens. But the German guy sat in the prison for a long time till finally the Germans send an ambassador to the principality of Sealand to negotiate the release of the German prisoner. 
That's got to be one of the best negotiations ever because this guy, this ambassador, this professional diplomat <laughs> has sat down at tables with nation states where they are discussing trade treaties and gross like economic outputs of entire nation states. Meanwhile, he goes and he's got to talk to a guy about, well, you know, we'd really like some air conditioning. <laughs> So he he flies out to the Principality of Sealand, lands on the thing. They have a conference room table set or whatever. They negotiate. It, it, this gives the Principality of Sealand further legitimacy. They negotiate for the release and the German guy's taken away. There haven't been any incidents like that since the late 70s. I don't know what it was about that time, but it hasn't well, happened. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not still a thing. This can't possibly still be a thing. I'm, I'm getting to it, Josh. I, I may or may not be um, a, a duke of the Principality of Sealand. So in the mid in the mid nineteen eighties, um, the UK decided that they they went through whatever legal you got to go through with the UN or whatever to extend the distance of territorial waters from three to twelve miles. Well, it's specifically prohibited in the law of the sea to change the distance out from your shores to gain new land. So Sealand also declared their expansion from three to 12 miles, which meant that their two borders clashed up against each other at the halfway point. Okay. So now the British government treats Sealand as an independent state. Like to this day. Yes. Get out of town. This is still a thing. They have a flag. There's people living there. You can go there. That the government of the UK built that is now a, a foreign country? Yes. Are they are they part of the uh, uh, oh the European Union? I don't know. <laughs> I forgot to look that up. <laughs> so in the early two thousands, as the dot com boom was starting to happen, they're like, you know, we could probably make some money here if we just take the basement of one of these towers and turn it into a server farm. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So they set up this company called Havenco and started building a server farm in i'll put a photo of this server farm inside of the tower uh, out, out in the principality of sealand but basically for whatever reasons they ju- they just never got off the ground it was one of the chaff of the dot com bust so they bought a bunch of servers hired a ceo everybody quit and it and it never really got anywhere i think just set up like as a as a powered repeating station right I mean, for long haul transmission cables i feel like it'd be a good hub for that yeah, now it's mostly just a curiosity, a historical relic of World War II that people find fascinating, and they make their money selling flags and T-shirts and and uh, um, little titles of royalty. There it is. So you, sir, you actually purchased yourself a title? I, I almost did, Josh, but because this is more than a joke, like when you got one for Nicole, mm-hmm. like... This would actually make me a citizen of the Principality of Sealand when I do things like renew my top secret security clearance and it asks me if I have dual citizenship. <laughs> this would te- this would actually constitute dual citizenship and it would probably cause me to lose my security clearance. So I didn't go through with it. But I'm making Major Roy Bates the patron saint of Ben versus Bureaucracy on the Bad at Magic podcast. Well, it just... Why? Because he he wasn't fed up with the because he took on the man right, and yeah. he defended it with like military force. I mean, he did take on like the oldest man in the book. Like when you think of <laughs> the, the king man, of England, yeah, the actual like yeah, the British monarchy is like the, the seven top. miles off their shore. He stands there like a thumb on the nose, wiggling his fingers. That, that's top shelf, the man right there. Yeah. So I I can't fault you for that one. 
That's, so, oh. that's the story of the Principality of Sealand. That's, ah, it, I, I just, I don't, I don't even know where to go with this. Like, because <laughs> there's so many examples of this, like, being attempted and failing in modern, in the modern world, right? Right. I, I it could, it could have just become extinct at any point. Like, there were times that the Royal Navy was trying to trick them to leave long enough for them to install explosives and blow the thing up. And they just got away <laughs> with it. There, there have been multiple people that set up like floating rafts or something off the coast of Florida and try the same thing, only for the next hurricane to come completely wipe them out. There is, um, there's that nut job that claimed the moon. You've heard of that, right? No, I, I, I guess he just did the the legal research to what he needed to do to say it was his. Yes, he he says that he owns the moon and he sells pieces of it. And w- what I think is really funny about that is he has absolutely no way of you know defending or staking his claim so the but neither does anyone else yeah but the first nation state that gets it in its head that hey let's go back to the moon and leave something there like they're not gonna even think about this guy and he's gonna have absolutely no way of enforcing it yeah i mean it's pretty crazy that if you were like at this you just curious little outpost seven miles off the coast of england and like people come out and are legitimately shooting guns at you and you, you don't have a military you are the military like this is it. This is your nation. All I keep thinking about is the logistics. Like, how, where do they get running water? Where's okay, the power coming go, go from? Go to the website I just sent you a link to, and you can see there's a, like a helicopter shot of it, and you can see their their solar panels, their windmills, their flag. You can see look what look like water barrels outside the helicopter pad, all that kind of stuff. Uh this is this thing is not that big. Like this is, I mean, several thousand square feet. But I mean, that we're talking about a large home. We're not talking about. A, a state. Yep, but it but it is a, a, a state. It looks like a third world state. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the world's smallest country. Our I got it. I love I that. It. I love that. There's two buttons on the front page: our story and shop. It's like learn about us and please give us your money. <laughs> I can't. I can't deny that this is on my bucket list of places I would like to go someday. Uh, no, this is, this is one of those things I'm glad I know about, but I'm not going to go there. (laughs) All right. Well, if you have something you'd like to say about anything we talked about today, you can go to our Facebook page and you can join in the conversation there, or you can go to our subreddit and be part of the conversation. If you like what we do, consider sharing us with a friend. If you like us, maybe your friends will like us too. If you really want to show us some love, think about taking your phone out of your pocket and giving us a good review on the podcast player of your choice. It is crazy the amount of visibility we can get from that. And if you already have, thank you very much. If you really love us and you want me and Ben to sit and talk about just the stupidest, most inane things while spoiling Star Wars from now until the end of time, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page. And until next time, try to be a little less bad at magic. Bye.